Hey, Josh. Everyone, this is Demetrius Gelatis, and I've got with me Josh Burble. Back from the dead, Josh Burble. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you. Oh, here we are with the, uh, uh, what is it? What, what podcast do we have? Again? <laughs> we're doing this. We're on the Cue It Up Network podcast uh, channel. And then I'm with MN Pool Bootcamp training pool for people that don't do school good what was the zoolander thing what was, oh, what was i it? don't remember okay yeah. anyway all right so i i that someday i should rehearse the opening it's getting up it's like the first rack jitters man it's the first rack jitters how have you been josh awesome yeah things have been really great yeah good well i'm glad to have you here uh for those that haven't been tuning in for a while uh josh was uh he's been my longtime road partner in pool and uh he has kind of he's kind of gone a little direction so we're going to get into what he's been up to the last few months since you've heard from him last which is great but uh we've got a good couple topics of conversation today so I'll, I'll give some teasers uh let's see so here's our lineup josh we've got uh i'm gonna i'm gonna do a little tip of the week along with uh explaining what it is that i do for training something came up with my student this week i think is interesting uh, i wanted to take out a listener question about traveling with cues through airports and then uh, we've got some interesting stuff today to talk about as far as Jason Shaw's 714 and some of the some of the mixed reactions to it and and what us and, and some of the underlying um, some of the underlying reasons why people are mixed on this topic uh, that I think is interesting. And then and then finally, well, we'll get into a little bit about what you've been doing and how and how what you've been doing is similar to pool in a lot of ways. So uh, I guess. Not the best teaser, but gosh, man, <laughs> I'm, I'm really dying at it. That's okay. What are we down to zero? We can come back. We can here. come back from here. Yeah. <laughs> it's early. It's early. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> All right. Deep breath. Let's reset. Um, anything on your mind you wanted to go? I mean, anything that you want to say to the listeners? No, not really. I mean, if some people remember, I was, you know, pool player at one point and I stepped away from pool and uh, I don't even know if it's been about six months down or, or so, six, eight months. And I completely had a, di- I had a diamond and I was traveling with Demi. We were playing some tournaments and it was going, the U S open was the, the U S open was the last one we went to and, and did a podcast on that and everything. And so I got back from the U S open and I just, uh, I just decided for my family, for myself, for like my mental health, just my well being And like my relationship with pool was great. She was, she was wonderful. It was me. It was me. So I had to kind of like step away and, and, uh, sold my diamond table and just decided I wasn't going to play anymore and figured I'd go back. Didn't sell my cues. I figured I'd go back and play a little bit, hit some balls. And that's, what's been happening recently. I came back in the last month or so and I hit some balls and it's just been fun. I've been, it's been fun to hit balls again. I don't really have any deep desires to compete or anything, um, but it's been fun to play. And, and we could talk about that later, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it was but, good. Yeah. To, it was good. Uh, we got to hit some balls today and uh, it was, it's a lot of fun, man. It's good to have you back. Even, uh, even in, in, uh, if it's just scotch doubles in my basement, that's, that's good enough for me, man. Yeah. Good and that's for me, that's good enough for me right now too. So it was awesome. Like we, we probably played two, three hours of scotch doubles and it's fantastic. It was really cool. So, all right, well, let's, you know what, let's do the listener question first. Cause this one should be pretty easy. So we'll start easy and then we'll, we'll build. So Josh, uh, someone was asking, you know, I, and, and I've actually had this come up again and again and again, cause a lot of, uh, a lot of people that come work with me, they fly in to work with me and, for some of these people, they haven't ever flown with their pool cues before. Mm-hmm. And so they don't really know the best. They don't really know their options. 
you know, you can't bring anything four ounces of liquid. I mean, how do you get your pool cues to the airport? So for people that are first time looking at going to a tournament, maybe they're going to Vegas for their, you know, they want an APA tournament or something. What, what should they do, Josh? What's the best way to travel with cues? I, what I've done is I go and I find, I, I find a hard case that I like that'll fit my equipment because it's got to go in your carry on. I mean, not your carry on, but your, your checked baggage. So I'll get the, I'll get a case well, it depends on the order. You could go find the largest suitcase you could find, and then you measure it, and then you buy a hard case that'll fit in there, most likely diagonally. So that that's what I had. I put my cue in diagonally in a hard case, and I pack all my clothes around it. And I've flown a half dozen times with cases and cues, and I haven't had it had any problems. Um, even the last term we went to, I think it was the open. Well, we drove to that one, but one of the last terms we flew to, I. Uh, the Predator case that you have and that I have, it's not a technically hard, hard case, um, like a super rigid case, but I I kind of forgot, <laughs> like I didn't have a hard, hard case to, like I got rid of my old $40 case or something. And I used that Predator case and it was fine. Like it didn't snap or break or anything. So I think that you could buy a case for $30, $40, some knockoff case that's really rigid. And one of the things I found is that you can open up the lid if it's got one of those flip lids and you can kind of fold the lid back and gain a couple, two, three inches at that diagonal. Okay. So, so just in case, just it. in case everyone's not tracking. So there, cause there's a few options. I I've seen people do all the following. Uh, I've seen people FedEx their cues separately to where they're going, which I don't think is the right way to play it. If, if you're traveling one time, you can get away with that, but that's not something you want to do time after time. Uh, another thing is, when my first couple plane trips, I wasn't prepared. So I actually checked my cues as luggage. Like I would just actually check my cue case by itself and just pay 25 bucks to have that shipped and then just do carry on. Like I would just carry out a bag with some clothes in it. And then, you know, if it was like a weekend trip and just check my cue case. I was always worried about someone seeing that and grabbing Sure, it, so sure. No, I'm, no I'm just talking about the options. But the yeah. best option is what Josh is talking about, which is you get a, just to be clear, you get your, you get a luggage bag that you put your clothes in and you make sure it's a big one. Now you don't want to get like the oversized, you know, ski bags or the golf bags or whatever that are so big. Cause if you get oversized luggage, then at the airport, they'll like flag that and separate it. And you have to like, I don't know what shenanigans you have to go through at your baggage claim. Uh, you don't want to get something that's monstrous, the right size. It's like, it should be something that's like a roller bag. That's a big, you know, big travel bag that, you know, carts around with it, you know, handled it on, on, you know, telescoping handle and wheels and it should be big enough like josh said to where your cue case you can put your cues in your cue case stuff the cue case in that travel bag and it should be like like josh said it should be a tight squeeze kind of diagonally in there if it doesn't quite fit like he said you can undo the the end of your case the cue case and kind of gain a couple inches but mine i've always been able to tuck my cues diagonally in my bag and it's just small enough to not be oversized but it's just big enough to fit my cue and then that way you only you don't have to pay extra shipping and your queue is safe from, from theft and it's got extra padding inside. So, yeah. And the only thing different that you and I do is you do a bag like a duffel bag with roller. Yeah, and I do a, like a more of a rigid suitcase. Gotcha. It's, it's not super, you know, rigid on the sides and kind of soft on the front. Those just a standard like three piece suitcase. I'll buy the biggest one that they have and then go diagonal in there. So sure, sure. I and feel I, like there's a little more rigidness in that than a duffel bag. Or yeah, I like dragging so my, that around better. So whatever. Yeah, my luggage is a, like it's a duffel bag. It's not a hard, my luggage is not a hard case, but yeah. I'll tell you, I mean, realistically though, if I've got a like a big travel duffel bag stuffed with clothes and in the middle of it is a queue in a hard case. Yeah, it's you know, protected, it's, yeah. I mean, I don't know what would have to happen for my queues to be damaged, but now if I was, if I had some like $80,000, you know, 
legacy queue then i would just you know walk with it everywhere but i mean i'm not gonna yeah. anyway okay so that's the answer to that i don't think there's anything more to say so and the other thing is it'll save you money in the long run you just check one bag each way you don't have to you know whatever so okay yep yep good well then i wanted to you know i want this has been a recurring theme with me and with, with students is that uh oh hey this is the part where i plug my boot camp yes boot camp plug uh I'm Demetrius. Hello, I'm Demetrius Gelatis with MN Pool Bootcamp. Um, let's see, I, uh, I I do training for intermediate and advanced players, and I run three day sessions. So it's a little non traditional. Most you know most instructors do lessons. You know you do hourly lessons. You get together with somebody for a couple hours. They tell you you know they give you a few pointers about the cue ball, about about your stance, about your stroke. You know hey maybe you should uh, stand a little further back or you should change your bridge a little bit or something. I don't know. I don't know what most people do. Uh, but I do, I assume that my students have already, you know, gotten competent at pool. They've already seen a lot of videos, learned a lot. And I'm, I do more of an overhaul for their whole game where, you know, we, we look at everything. We look at the whole picture. So instead of just giving them a few pointers and wishing them well, I'm more of a full service. They come stay at my house for three days. Uh, we take meals together. We spend, you know, 12 plus hours a day together. And, and I get to know your pool game, like it's mine. I compare your pool game to mine, try to understand where, you know, where the gaps are. There might be gaps in knowledge. There might be gaps in technique. There might be gaps in cue ball. There might be gaps in, you know, patterns. And I'm just going to know your game better than, you know, as well as my own game. And then we're going to highlight those areas that are like, Hey, here's the weak links in the chain that are actually stopping you from progressing. We're going to make a real good plan to, to strengthen those areas and have you know, and then, and then we're not just going to talk about it. We're going to actually get on the table and do it side by side, hour after hour. So that by the end of the third day, you have new cue ball tools, you have better cue ball, you have better patterns, you have, you know, things, your you know, stroke is smooth and good timing, everything's crisping. And then it's just amazing. If you get a little bit better at a few different things in this game, the results could be kind of astounding. So my last student came in, what day is today? Saturday. He came in Wednesday morning. And uh, I can tell you, he was a different player when he left on Friday. So then that's so that's my plug. So if you're interested in hearing more, uh, go to you can check out my website www.mnpoolbootcamp.com. It's MN stands for Minnesota. MNpoolbootcamp.com. And um, you know, then I've also had some people that are worried that they might not be good enough. Don't worry, just reach out to me. I will talk to you, and I will we can talk over the phone about that. If you're concerned that you're at not at a high enough level to train with me, uh, there's a couple options too. Uh, one is that I've actually had some students that I've given coaching remotely to help them get up to speed so that they can actually come take my boot camp. Uh, and so that's one, you know, like I'm, I'm interested in anybody that's passionate about pool and wants help. I'm interested in talking to you. And then the other part is, is that uh, based on the number of people that are, have reached out to me that are concerned about that, uh, I've even entertained the idea of doing, you know, some, some, something different. So if you're concerned about it, like I could maybe even, maybe even get a few people together to, you know, maybe do a small group of people that are, you know, lower level intermediate or something like that. I'm open-minded. I know. I just, I just want to talk to people and help people with their game. So if you're, if you're interested, I'm interested. Okay. Um, so can I, can I have ahead. one yeah, thing? Please, to it? please do. Yeah. I just, this will be a little spoiler for what, like how I'm, what we're going to talk about with me a little bit, but um, so Demi's a genius, right? Like, I mean, that's my experience with him. I've been friends with him for 15 years. He's, he's brilliant. He's, uh, I feel like he's the best instructor in the country. He's got all the things that he mentioned nailed down. And 
he's also a witch when it comes to the mental game. And so I was down in Florida and I was in a tournament. Uh, so I've transitioned to, to be playing quite a bit of poker and I was down there and Demi and I, in, in our friendship, we memo back and forth. So he'll send me memos and updates and he'll record like 20, 30, 40 minutes and I'll listen to it. So I was down in Florida and he had left me a memo about his uh, things he was working on in his boot camp and some of the mental stuff he was helping with his students and some of his mental game ideas. This is just kind of our normal process of sharing our lives. And, and I'm down there and I'm playing poker and literally that memo about pool transitioned right into what I was dealing with with poker. And I was able to sit and listen to that thing for 20, 30 minutes. And it got me super dialed in and squared away and looking at my poker uh, tournament down there in the right way and got me super, super calm and centered. So I just, I, I just think that Demi's, Demi's awesome. And uh, if, if you have a chance and you have the means and, and, and you have the desire to get better, like he is the guy, he's the guy in the, in the U S basically. Um, that you want to go talk to and see. And uh, yeah, that's it. Well, I mean, th thank yeah. you, Josh. And you know, what's funny about that. Um, I was going to say that uh, I should uh, get a little, uh, get a little jelly from those poker events, but, uh, I, but I remember I got half, I got, <laughs> I'm in for half for life. Whatever Josh does, I, I literally beg, borrow, steal. Uh, he was, we were talking about something today on the business side and you were, you had some, you know, no spoilers about that, but you had a, you had a business idea in the future that if you ever pursued, it would take, possibly six figures of you know liquid yeah. and i was like i don't i don't even like the number you named was big enough i don't even have that but i'm like i'm in for half i'll find like i will literally <laughs> if you told me you're doing that tomorrow i will find a way if yeah. i have to knock off a 7-eleven like we're gonna get i'll get the money <laughs> don't worry yeah, yeah. so okay okay so here's what i so here's what came up with my student this week is that it, just one little thing about um for a lot of intermediate players they don't use enough sides but now i've talked about this before and so i'm not going to start from scratch i will just say it's been a recurring theme that that side spin is underused. And the reason people can get away with it is that when you play bar table eight ball, which is a lot of people play bar table eight ball, you have the ability, first of all, you get to pick your pattern so that you can, I, I call it the long game and the short game. The short game being like stop shots, soft rolls, soft stuns, times where you're moving your cue ball a couple inches to a couple feet. Then you've got times when you've got to send the cue ball moving up and down table, you know, multiple rails. Well, Eight balls a game where it's mostly short game. If you play good patterns, you can play, you know, from shot to shot, there shouldn't be a ton of movement. And for that reason, you can use uh, the short game doesn't require a lot of side spin. So you could play eight ball and a lot of the shots don't require side spin. Number one, number two, you have recovery balls. You know, you could mess up your pattern and just switch balls. And then number three, it's a bar table. So then even if you hink that up a little bit, Hey, maybe you could just make a recovery shot. Cause it's not that bad. But when you start playing bar table, nine ball, or you start playing on a big table or you start playing, you know, eight ball on a diamond table where you've got, you know, clusters and short side shape and problems to move around. Uh, and you're playing better players that don't just give you chance after chance. Uh, at some point, you're going to have to develop your full toolbox. And so the side spin is something that a lot of people don't develop and they stay away from because what happens, they miss a few shots with it. And they're just like, oh, I don't like the feeling of not knowing if I'm going to make the ball. So actually, I've got an inspirational story, too. Um, I told the guy coming out to my place, he was asking me how to learn side spin. And I told him, he was asking about a bunch of different backhand English pivot systems and all this and that. I just said, miss a thousand shots. I'm like, just 
miss a, I said, I gave him a, a specific shot and I told him to work on a certain family of shots using different spins at different speeds. I, it was one shot with different spins at different speeds to reach different places. And I told him to work on that until he missed it a thousand times. And he just sent me an email. I didn't tell you this. Um, he sent me an email that he achieved his goal. <laughs> and he said that it was very, very difficult because after missing it a few hundred times, it started to be harder to miss. And he said it was, he was going for 50 misses a day for a month was wow. his goal. And he said that after about a week or two, he was really trying hard to get the 50 misses a day. So he had to, he went and he cheated. He went and he got pocket tighteners. So oh, he used yeah. a pocket tightener just so we could get the 50 misses. And he said by, and then he wrote me this thing, miss like update by update. He said by 300, it was hard to get 50 misses. By 500, I started seeing opportunities to use this in games more and more and more. By at 700, I won a qualifier to a bigger tournament. Oh, and he's awesome. like, it was my biggest tournament win. Yeah. He's like, I haven't even, this guy, by the way, this is a guy that is uh, scheduled to work with me in April. And, um, uh, I haven't even met with the guy yet. Yeah. And I, I mean, like, literally, I feel yeah. like, I, what did I even do for the guy? All I told him to do is work on this one shot with different spins. And all of a sudden, he's like, he's like playing the best pool of his life. And, and anyway, he's like, man, I haven't even met you yet, but this is going good. So anyway, yeah. he finally got to a thousand misses and he's like, he's feeling great. I'm like, okay. So that's just another example of how I'll do some coaching with people before they come out to make yeah. sure that you're ready for it. But anyway, so that's really inspirational to me, isn't it? Isn't that inspirational? Yeah, that's amazing. And it's it's just that guy impresses me. I mean, without I don't know, I've never heard that story, but that that is that's impressive that he would do that, and that is awesome, man. Yeah, yeah. And it's a great result, and it's just yeah, it's sweet. So then, uh, so what I was going to say about seismic, why is it? So there's a million things I could say about why it's valuable. I'm going to pick one. I thought about it this way. I never thought this thought before, so I wanted to share it with you guys. There are only so if the natural path of the cue ball is a rolling ball, a rolling ball with no spin, rolling cue ball with no spin, a follow shot, if you will. That's the natural path. Well, there's it to play position. You have to learn to modify the natural path of the cue ball. And there's only two ways to do that. You can use side spin or you can use backspin. That's it. There's, I mean, you can, or your combination, right? Mm -hmm. You know, obviously, but the problem is if you don't use side spin, then that leaves exactly backspin. And there's problems with that. So one problem is backspin is very inconsistent. When you shoot a rolling ball, it always rolls the same. But when you use backspin, it always spins backwards with different amounts. So it's not as consistent. That's number one. Number two, it, you have to overcome table friction, which means you need to increase your cue speed uh, to overcome the table friction. The third part is it's real tip sensitive. If you're off on your tip, you get, you know, that leads to inconsistency on the backspin amounts. But that means that when you're shooting a shot, you have to be very, very on point with where your tip strikes the cue ball. But then there's one other problem with backspin, which is the amount that the backspin does to change the path of the cue ball depends on your thickness of hit on the object ball. So on a straight in shot, backspin will have total influence in other words you can go forward or you can come completely backwards the backspin is is very very dramatically going to affect the cue ball's path when you're straight and when you're very full on the ball similarly you can really bring the cue ball back a lot but if you get a super super thin cut you know maybe the object balls in the middle of the table and you're feather thin cutting it in the side the thinner you are the less the backspin changes the path of the cue ball because when you're really, really thin and you feather a ball in with speed, the cue ball's hurtling down the tangent line. 
And whether you have topspin or backspin on that ball, the cue ball is going to hurtle down the tangent line. And it's hard to, for the, you know, you're, you can influence it slightly, but not as much and not with any kind of real control. So what that means is the thicker you are, the, the more the backspin, the more control over your backspin you have. So people that only use backspin to control their cue ball with stops and punch draws and, you know, stuns, the problem is they always have to get full angles on balls because if they get thin, they don't have any control over their cue ball. And so what that means is that people are getting full to three quarter ball full on all their shots, which is fine if you want to hold your cue ball, but when you need to move your cue ball, now you have to use a lot of cue speed, both to overcome the table friction, but also the object ball is taking all your energy because you're so full on it. So people are getting full angles on balls and having to muscle them in with big cue speeds and below center hits. Now the pockets shrink up and their accuracy on their aim gets worse while the pockets play smaller because the speed. Meanwhile, as far as the cue ball, they're really, their, their tip accuracy gets worse when they're swinging with big speeds at a time when tip accuracy matters, which is they're using backspin. So that leads to, and then, and then if their strike on the cue ball is a little thick or a little thin, it'll dramatically change how far that cue ball moves. So they're using these really, it's not a good tool to move the cue ball around. In fact, I have a guideline. I tell my students, if you want the cue ball, if you want to hold your cue ball, then you want to be either straight or three quarter full. If you want your cue ball to move, you generally want to be about a half ball hit. Anything thicker than that, you're going to have to use a lot of cue speed. So in general, I like, it's like, Hey, do I need to move half ball hit? Do I want to get hold three quarter full or thicker? And so basically they're getting hold angles when they want to be moving. And these hold angles, when you want to be moving, result in terrible scatters. And if you have questions about that, you can listen to my last podcast. So it's just not good. And but that but the reason they have to get three quarter full is because the because backspin it doesn't work very well when you're thin in terms of adjusting the cue ball's path. And the second part is the cue speed needed to keep the ball spinning backwards is too great for a thin angle hit because if you're trying to draw your ball with thin angles. You're having to hit hard to get backspin and the object ball is not taking off your speed. You're going to go flying around. If you're trying to draw your ball around from distance with thin angles, you're going to be flying around the table. Uh, so anyway, that's, those are my, so the point is side spin doesn't have that problem. Side spin, you can get half ball hit, but then you can hit soft cue speed because it's rolling. You don't have to overcome table friction and it's not as tip sensitive because the ball is going to roll the same every time. So in general, I like to play a game where I'm getting half ball hit angles using a lot of rolling balls and with side spin and maybe some soft stuns in there, uh, depending. But but when I when I watch players play, most of them stay on the center ball, play to get thick all the time, and then when they need to move their cue ball around, they're, they they can play okay as long as they can move short distances and run open balls. But once they need to move their cue ball up and down table, they have no control over how they get on these balls, the angles they get, um, you know where they're hitting on rails. And and they're they're rattling balls and hooking themselves and miscuing and it's just anyway and yeah go ahead I'm sorry that's great I just would add that even like what what Fargo rate are you just talking about there roughly just curious I'm talking about people from 450 to 550 okay because I'm I'm thinking about a 640 player that sure, I sure I know here yeah yeah that 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 it scales up what Demi's talking about scales up it because. This guy's a 640 and he can put the cue ball anywhere he wants. He's got a super powerful stroke. But when I play him and I play him 10 ball, 
I can tell when he is in trouble and out of when he's out of the when he's I can tell when he's going to miss because he'll get a really flat angle and he'll have to do everything that Demi said. He'll have to load up. He'll have to hit it very firm. He'll have to hit and he has to hit it. It shrinks the pocket. It, it His tip accuracy is down everything. And then he's got to pound it really hard. And it, that, and I know, I know 700s that play that way too. Yes. I yes. Mean, <laughs> I know another 700s that plays yeah, that yeah. way. And so what I'm saying is like, like that was very eye opening to me to learn from Demi. I don't know how many years ago, but, but uh, yeah, he, Demi's right on with it. And that is, uh, it scales up. And so it's not just trying to get from 450 to 550 or 600. It's, it's definitely when you're going over, over the mid 600s and even into the 700s, that is, uh, that's not a winning formula to you, get you, three quarter ball hits and pound everything in. You watch or not be caught. Like, I think, I'm sorry. No, no. The, the one guy that is a 700 ish guy that I know, he plays for those flat angles. And I think it's a leak. Um, Cause I watch him and I'm, and I can tell when he's going to miss as well. And the guy that's in the 640 range, I think he's too loose and he, he leaves himself those angles, not getting, not playing tight enough, like to in his preparation them. to avoid it. Yeah. And, and uh, so I think that can, it can hurt in both ways. People that are loose get flat and you can, and they just, it screws them and people that, it can even, and then, and then if you're playing for those flat angles, I just don't think it's as effective. And it's not always going to come out as a rattle. It might come out that your cue ball just, you're not going to be as accurate with your cue ball movements. And so that's the other place it comes out. And so I was going to just say, if, uh, if you're all listening to this, next time you have a chance to watch somebody play a set of pool that's not elite, watch how many of their runs end for one of the following two reasons. Well, I'll just, uh, just one reason. Watch how many of their runs end. Because they get flat, and generally, by the way, the, the 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 big brother is also distance. They get long and flat, long and flat, long and flat. People always get long and flat when they need to move the ball. So picture a ball on the side rail, a couple of inches off the side rail, and then picture getting long and flat where you're up the table on the you know on the kitchen line, long and flat on those balls, and they're trying to force them down and rattling them out of the pocket, trying to force their ball. Yeah, under. yeah. Like like if you. Well, and, and then they miss because the pockets are tight and they're shooting too hard or they are flat. They're trying to steer the cue ball and create an angle that's not there. And so it's like you watch it's their steering errors, their stroke errors, there's aiming errors, there's striking errors. And then there's times when they make the ball, but they don't get the shape they need. So it's like you put it all together. You watch the percentage of runs that end because people get long and flat or just playing flat on balls. And you'll understand why I'm raising my voice right now. <laughs> <laughs> and watch, watch for both. Don't just, they're going to miss shots because they're pounding the ball and, and they're just absolutely having to recover, right? With a really hero, powerful shot. So watch, watch for that, but also watch for if they end up making that flat, hard shot, watch how their shape is affected, their position on the next shot, because they'll, that, because that is a domino. If they're on the four ball and they get flat on the four ball, yes, they can pound in the four ball and hit some sort of hero shot to get back sort of on the five. Well, sort of on the five doesn't work if you have to be perfect on the five to get on the six. And so it's people maybe don't, maybe won't recognize that it's all stemmed from that flat angle. That's yep. what I'm saying. hundred you know? percent. And, and it's more than just missing the ball. It's, it's the domino effect of what happens when you get flat. We were playing scotch doubles today. I left Demi flat and I'm like, I knew like two or three shots later, we were going to be in trouble because it just, it just, it snowballs, man. Yeah. That's the price you pay sometimes. And, uh, but you know what? And I, I should warn everybody. Now's, now's the part where I just had my second monster oh, energy yeah. drink. 
monster so, energy alert i just monster energy alert weep so if my if you guys notice a subtle shift in my uh, energy level uh-huh. uh i'm getting i'm giving you guys both barrels today i'm bringing it all so okay and then so, but the problem is it's not enough to know not to get flat people if your only tool is a hammer the whole world's a nail if that's your only tool is knowing how to pound the ball around with below center then you can't do what i'm talking about doing which is play for bigger angles and control your cue ball more accurately to do that you have to be able to spin the ball and pocket shots and but not just every shot with spin because there's a lot of shots that you are too tough to pocket where using side spin makes them too low percentage and there's shots that are too tough to control so my philosophy i don't mix distance cue speed and side spin i like to use side spin when the shots are easy and i get to use low cue speeds so this is i, I don't want to like do i'm not trying to do a boot camp here over the over the podcast but like in general i've so I've boiled it down to where I have a family of core shots where I've got 10 shots I use to play pool in general. And I, those are the ones that have the best cue ball scatters there. A lot of them are half ball hits involving size spin that allow you to move your cue ball up and down table, multiple rails, controlling direction and speed of the cue ball. So you can not only get shape, but you can get the right angle on the next ball to keep connecting these shots like a gymnast performing a routine. So that's what I teach is I take people and I make sure they know these shots. Some of them already know all these shots. So for the lower level players I teach, I develop their knowledge, their technique, and help them develop these shots and understand how to use them. And then we build runs with them and they start seeing how they could actually, that's what I did for this guy last week. It's like he transformed his game and he started playing the game I'm describing. Now for players that already know all these shots, that's great. But the problem is they also know a bunch of other shots. And so then what I do for them is I take their whole toolbox, I dump it all out, and I tell them they only get to use those 10 shots because some people know too much for their own good and they rely too much on stuff that's not you know watch the europeans they've got their bridge hand on the rail uh, they got their bridge hand on the table they're not on the rail and they've got an angle and they've got mm-hmm. open shots and they're never jacked up and they're never flat on balls pounding how often do you see alex kazakis get straight on balls pounding stuff around mm-hmm. they've had same with jason shot they've always got an angle they're always out in space okay so just real quick i'm yeah. sorry when you say scatter, everyone knows what you're talking about. No, correct? no, no. So scatter. So what I, I've got a, you know, with your shot making, there's a way to measure how tough a shot is, which is what is your make percentage? Is it 50%, 100%, 90%? What, what's your make percentage? With cue ball, there's not a good way to measure how good of your, you know, how good, how good your cue ball control is from that position. So what I've come up with is a term I call scatter, which means if you were to set up that shot, and shoot 10 times and mark with little dots on the table where you stopped each time, how, how small of a circle do those dots make? So if you shoot 10 stop shots, your scatter is going to be like an inch because all your 10 stop shots, your cue ball is going to end up at about the same place. If you shoot a four foot draw, sometimes you're going to come back two feet. Sometimes you're going to come back six feet and leave your partner a really thin cut on the ten on the side <laughs> exactly. when they're shooting on the hill. <laughs> uh, that was a great draw story, Josh. Anyway, the point is, but then again, then again, I left you flat. I yeah, left yeah, you flat. yeah. I had and no that's what happens. It was my fault. Draw across the line. That's my fault. You needed to move the ball, and I left you flat. What's that? Yeah. No. Anyway, um, so so the point is, is that different sh- different cue ball maneuvers have different scatters, and so I um, so yeah, I teach which which cue ball maneuvers have the tightest scatters. And then I, and I take like my a, 700s, my 700 students, my 700 level students, they know all the shots, but they're using all these shots, some of which have worse scatters. And when I show them which shots have better scatters and force them to build patterns around yes. better tools, it's transformative. Yep. Even for, even for high level players, yep. it's, it's totally different. Yeah. The, the scatter is like a grouping. So if your grouping is tight, 
that that means that it's way more repeatable. Like the more repeatable it is, the tighter it is. And so rolling a ball with a little bit of English or or what or what Demi's saying, side spin or or even just rolling ball, it, it's just your grouping is so much tighter than if you're uh, than if you're you're hitting punch shots and draw shots and drag shots and things and and uh, and you can't always roll the ball. I mean, sometimes you're going to have to hit those shots and you need to have them in your toolbox. The, the those the poundy kind of draggy spinny shots that's that are that style but in general if you build your game around more of a rolling angle you have such better scatter such better grouping that your your game just elevates faster yeah cool so i encourage anybody that's not oh you know comfortable on the side of the ball um i challenge you to take the thousand miss challenge 30 days a thousand misses Mm -hmm. Uh, but not just random shots why don't you email me Info at mnpoolbootcamp.com. If you have questions, I can get you on the right track. And then uh, maybe you too can fly to Minnesota and leave a new a new player, a new man or woman, a new a new life. Yes. Yeah. Great. Yeah. All right. Uh, cool. So Jason Shaw ran 714 balls. <laughs> nice. That's a pretty good run. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, that guy's a hell of a player. <laughs> yeah, he's 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 yeah, he's amazing, man. I just love that that dude's game. It's so fun to watch him. Yeah, it's um, I some of the best sessions I've had have come after watching Jason Shaw play. Yeah, he strikes the balls so clean mm-hmm. that that it's just it, it's just it's a it's a real treat to watch him play pool. That's it. it. It's kind of funny to watch him. Like I catch myself like laughing at some of the shots he can shoot. Not in a negative way, yeah, a yeah. positive way, just in a joyful way. Like it's just the guy just, he's an amazing player, man. He's just, he's just amazing. Yeah. He plays the way, you know, it's like, there's some people that play the way that, you know, you, you dream about how it would look if you could just be awesome at every part of the game. And then there are times when Jason touches that where it's like, yeah. he'll play it up, he'll turn in a performance where it's just like, you know, I watched the, the finals at turning stone. And he was playing Federer course to the finals. And Federer is another player that at times could just play like robot pool. Um, but um, Shaw was down like, and now I don't remember. So don't email me and tell me I'm wrong. But it was like a race. I want to say it was a race to 13 in the finals. And I think he was down like nine to four. And then he wins like 13 to 11. And it's like he, when he gets his, and, and plus in that, in that tournament, he was down eight to four, going to nine, two or three times. Yeah. He was down to some Kuwait guy. I'm sorry. I don't know the guy's name, but he was down eight to four against Kuwait guy. And he got the eight, five Then he got a shot and ran out the set. Yeah. And he did that against Earl. He was down eight to four against Earl and he got a shot and ran out the set. And it was just again and again, it was like even money that for him to run five racks and out. And it's like the whole tournament, but it's like the whole set. He's like when he's breaking and getting hooked or he'll occasionally get a cluster and lose a safety battle. And then all of a sudden he'll get this thing where he's breaking. And it just seems like two or three balls are going to go in. And then somehow White magic, the cube, so the, the one ball is going to get kissed by something and get knocked in front of the pocket. It's just like, oh, look at this. And he just, yeah. you know, open, you know, just open bridges his way to victory lane and ha ha ha. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. So I got to watch that. And okay. So anyway, he runs 714 and everybody in the pool world unites in their, in their appreciation, unanimous appreciation. Uh, is that the right word? I don't even know. Uh, everybody agreeing is yeah, unanimous. unanimously. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was thinking anonymously for a minute, but I'm like, why would they be, why would they be anonymous? <laughs> there are some people, yes, there are some people that whose names they wish to re- not reveal that also are applauding a 714. No, you'd think that everybody would be in 
stunned and applauding his efforts. But actually, it turns out that's not the case. There was a real mixed reaction. Talk about that mixed reaction, Josh. You know what? I didn't follow it, Demi. Oh, I followed yeah. it through you telling me about it. Okay. I mean, you said that some people were kind of thinking that he was being a, a diva and, and like setting it up so that he could knock off the record in front of everybody and post it on social media and wait room walk around. Or is, is that <laughs> yeah. what you were so, talking about? So, so half the, basically there was, I'm on AZ billiards a lot. And I, some days I don't know why, if you guys, if any of you are on AZ billiards, please, you know, post on my threads and tell me not to quit because sometimes I just need a little encouragement because it's sometimes it can be a little cesspooly. Yeah. but uh, okay. So I, for some reason, I love AZ billiards. I don't know, but uh, okay. The reaction was very mixed about his about his run. Half the people reacted the way I did, which is, wow, that's an amazing run. Like he just broke the world record and he didn't break it like like he broke it in stunning fashion. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, really stunning fashion. He broke it. Yeah, he broke it like four minute mile broke it. Like, yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah. It was pretty transcendent. And so I was excited, man. I was excited. But then half the people were like, really, uh, so what were some of the things that they were saying? They were like, there was something about him setting this table up with like, I don't know if it was five or five and a half inch. I'm not, I don't know, but you know, really, really big pockets, really, really soft, you know, like new cloth, big pockets. They had the, the, the little plastic circles. So they didn't even have to rack the balls. They put them on like the, they had like a, you know, kind of like a tap circle thing. Yeah, yeah. Like instead of a tapped rack, it was like everything's frozen to everything perfectly with polished balls. And so between, between having a literally perfect rack with brand new cloth, when you broke the balls open, there weren't many secondary breaks in straight, you know, like in straight pool, if you can open up the entire rack on your break shot so that you don't have much for problems left, then it allows you to be really selective about your break ball and about the pattern that you're going to use to get on your break ball, like the key ball and the few balls leading up to it, which means that your average quality of break ball is going to be much better. And you're going to get on that ball at a very high consistency level. So then you're going to have another good break shot that gets into the next rack to ha have another rack of no problems. When you break and have massive problems where you only get like three balls open, or maybe you get five balls open, but you have to come with a shot. And then you come with a hard shot where it could be a run ender, but you make that. And now you've got like a tough, you don't really have a good break ball to break open the rest of the rack. And now you've got to like chip open some more balls and you're just trying to survive and get through the, keep opening up balls to keep your run going. By the time you get through those problems and you open up the rest of the balls, you might be taking really low quality break balls. Uh, so it's, you might not make the break. You might not make the shot after your break shot. You might not be able to get a secondary break shot. And if you do, you're, you're fighting to get through that rack. And even if you do get through that rack, you're going to get stuck with like some ball on the side where you're not really going to the rack the way you want to. And then that's going to snowball because now you have another bad break, which is going to lead to more problems in the next rack. So I've played a lot of straight pool and I can say, if you want to put up good runs, you might be able to struggle through one rack, like I just described, but if you want to put up big runs, you've kind of got to get it to where you got a good break ball. You spread most of the rack. If you have any problems left, they're minimal and you can deal with them pretty routinely and early enough to then have a good selection of break ball to get in the rack after that. Would you agree with that? You've played oh, yeah. a lot of straight pool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So with the tapped, with the with the locked up frozen rack on new cloth, Jason was able to break the balls and get everything open to where he after his break shot, it was like, oh, there's my break ball. Let's go. And he's just kind of freewheeling around running them out. So there's a lot of people that were put off by the soft conditions. And they're a little bit put off by him, you know, turning on a camera and trying and trying and trying. Same thing as John Schmidt did, to be fair, but like they didn't like that either. And there are people that are saying things like, 
well, when Moss Goldie ran his 526, he didn't, you know, he wasn't like turning on a camera and trying to run a thousand you know, times to see if he could get a record. Mm-hmm. He was just authentically a champion player that happened to be at, a, at an exhibition one time and people told him to keep going. And he just, that's just what he did because he was Willie Moscone. And it wasn't a special table and it wasn't a special ball set and it wasn't tap racks and it wasn't like, give me a thousand tries. And it was just kind of like him being great. Whereas something about something about saying, oh yeah, Willie Moscone ran 526 or something, watch this. And then, then, to, then to max out your conditions in a hundred different ways, turn on a camera and then run it and run it and run it and run it and run it until you finally catch lightning in a bottle. They just, something about that put people off. And I have some ideas on why, but they felt that that was kind of like apples and oranges. Like, well, how do you compare that to what Moscone did when he's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know, Demi. I'm, I mean, I, I'm not saying, well, I agree with that or I can see it, but it's like, I get it. I get where it comes from. Um, I wonder if, uh, you know, conditions change and numbers change for records as far as like baseball home runs and things. And, uh, um, yeah, or running records, like I mentioned, different things. It's, uh, it's interesting. I, I just, I wonder if where this leads to is that someday someone's just going to run 1500 balls, you know, cause they'll just keep doing the same thing on the same type of equipment. Not that they'll go to six inch or seven inch holes and someone will run 10,000 balls, but I don't know. I mean, it seems it seems like for a record like that conditions, I don't know. It's weird because Schmidt did the same thing where he got a giant pocketed table with new cloth and polished balls, every rack and, and got it broken. So I think that, I think, yeah. the, I think the cue ball is still spinning from John's last yeah. shot. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's still, it's got so much. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting question. I don't really have a, a, like a dog in the race or anything. Cause I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about it. I just, just on the surface of it, it's really cool that Schmidt did that. It's cool that that shot did that. And Shaw's record will get broke by someone that does the same thing or similar conditions or whatever. And I, I just wonder, you know, can they break those records and still, can you still look back at Willie Moscone's record and say, well, that, that was special, you yeah, know, and I yeah, think you so, can have both maybe. Yeah. So I think the idea goes like this, like suppose that Michael Jordan in his heyday uh, was, was like, you know, somebody after a big game, somebody is like, Hey, Michael, shoot a, you know, shoot a shot from three quarter court. And he just walked up, dribbled the ball, launched it three quarters across the basketball court and made it from three quarters of the court away on his first try. And everybody's like jaws on the floor. Like that's Michael Jordan at his peak. And then some like middle-aged guy was like, he has some YouTube channel. And he like sits there every day, just heaving the basketball across the court. And he does it from like two feet further away and happens to make one. And he just gets it on camera. And he's like, see, I'm better than Michael Jordan. It's like, wait yeah. a second. So I think there's a lot of people. It's not, it's, it's not just like, there, some people are like, well, the run isn't as good, but other people are just like, they don't like that. That if if you have to sit there and throw a thousand basketballs to try to, you know what Make I mean? That it's shot. Just, I get you. Yeah, a okay. thousand attempts. So, so I I agree with you that like there's room for both. Like I I can applaud Willie Moscone for being Willie Moscone, and I can applaud for Jason Shaw for being Jason Shaw. And these are like seventy years apart. It's like on different, totally different equipment. Yeah. So they're totally different generations, and to compare them is silly to me. But then I think there's just some people that question like the motivation and the attitude behind like, what are you trying to prove or what are you trying to do and why? And some people didn't like, they just, some people had a bad taste about what he was trying to prove and why. And after thinking about it, I came up with a theory as to why people are put off by what Jason did. 
and I've shared it with you, but now I'm going to share it with them. But them, I mean you. Okay. <laughs> uh, the royal you, not, the, not me. Sitting not here. the Josh you, but the, the listener you. The other you. So I think it is when pool players are trying to make a living, they, they sometimes, it's not always really, really easy. And so they, they, they look for ways to, to supplement their income. So some, some players, you know, if, if the very, very few could make a living playing directly, you know, maybe Shane Shaw or whatever, but like the bottom line is that most players are really on the tournament trail are really grinding. So some people do lessons, other people do exhibitions, other people sell videos, other people, you know, are sponsored and maybe they sell their own queue lineup or some people own a pool hall or some people, you know, whatever they have backers or there's different people with different side hustles and different ways to kind of make it from tournament to tournament. Well, one thing that kind of started happening is with the, um, with the prominence of social media was that there's a few players that said, Hey, you know what? Tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to open myself up and share a little bit about my pool journey with the audience. So I'm going to, I'm going to do posts and, and, and share updates about my wins and my losses. And I'm going to maybe share some lessons of things that I'm learning along the way or whatever. And I'm going to give a little back to people that want to follow along and root me on. So there's maybe there's players that are watching, um, and, and all of a sudden, these the competitors are developing a little bit of a following where maybe they've got five, 10,000 people that are kind of following along on their posts. And, you know, they get to share in the success and they get to learn a few things and they get to kind of pick up some, you know, sad, you know, they get to have a horse in the race that they're rooting for. So, so you know, for example, if uh, uh, Player X is out there and he's got a following of 10,000 people and he's doing updates and little, little posts on Facebook and little, little tidbits or telling funny stories of things that happen. And then all of a sudden, you know, maybe those players, chip in on his PayPal or a little donate here, donate there, or maybe they, maybe he's sponsored where he sends people to, you know, some online pool store and he gets a little cut or something, or he gets a little sponsorship money because he has a big following. So that started happening a while back. And that seems reasonable. It seems like a good thing. Like it's a win-win. The players that are rooting that player on, they get to have a horse in the race and they get to learn a few things and get some emotional satisfaction, whatever. And the player gets a little help along the way. So nothing wrong with that. But then somewhere along the way with social media, it seemed like it turned into like an attention grab thing where it got more and more com competitive, like fighting for people's attention started getting a lot harder. You know, it's what, when you're the first person on, on Facebook or YouTube with, you know, it wasn't so hard. People are like, oh, I like pool. What is this guy? This guy's a pool player. Check him out. But over the over time, and then this exploded with COVID too, because all of a sudden everybody in the world had a camera in their basement. So all of a sudden, everybody was live streaming, like the number of people live streaming matches or the number of people posting YouTube videos of themselves beating the ghost or the number of people, you know, setting up trick shots and doing different drills. I mean, it's unbelievable right now. It's like everybody's. And so that's where it gets weird is now it's so hard to get people's attention. If you're trying to if you're a pool player and you're trying to get people's attention on by making videos, what are you going to do? How are you going to compete with all that content? So what happens is little by little, it gets a little ridiculous because pretty soon you've got this thing where it's like people are doing these drills that are like, you know, running a thousand balls in one pocket. Drill. Yeah, 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 like like it, or like setting up some ridiculous trick shot drill, and then they're running it a thousand times until they make it once and posting it up there. Like, here's me knocking out this drill. Yeah, here I just screw my cue together and hit this drill. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, and it's like, it's like this. It's it turns into like this. 
I don't, I don't know how to say it in a way that I can say it on a podcast, but it turns into this kind of absurd cartoonish reality where everybody's like, everybody's wearing a shiny shirt with, you know, like a Moscow kneecap jersey with their name on it, strutting around on some seven foot table using a magic rack where they make three balls on the break. And then they're running six balls on a bar table and, and posting up their goal sets like they're like they're Jason Shaw. And it's like, it turns into this landscape where it's like everybody's, everybody's trying to be, everybody's trying to be, you know, the Superman hero in their, in their narrative. And so in that landscape, it's, it's gotten really cartoonish. Everybody's like the, the, what you have to do. So if you're actually playing, like, if you posted up reality where you just got up and played a set against the ghost and lost five to two on a fairly tough pocketing table where you're getting clusters after the break and you're struggling to get through the racks that when you finally get to the eight ball, you have to test her and you dog it. If you post that set, nobody wants to see that that's reality, but they don't, nobody, it's like the standards got so cartoonish. And so I think that a lot of people are put off by that. A lot of people don't like it. And so when they saw Jason Shaw with the cartoonish conditions, with the big pockets and a new cloth on the tap table, they just saw like another guy trying to like gap out the game and put up some big number in a cartoonish setting. And so my point was that there are genuine competitors. And then there are wannabes doing a thousand takes to make it look like they're a genuine competitor. That's a fight for people's attention and that they're two different things. And that I think that the people that are put off by Jason Shaw's approach to this thing mistook him for being a wannabe. And what I would say is I agree that there are wannabes and I find that distasteful as well. And I'm not, I'm not a big fan of our social media culture and what it's doing to pool. However, just because there are some people doing that, Jason Shaw is the, the actual lion in the forest and he just is a real thing. And what he did was pretty spectacular. And just because there's a lot of people that are going to duplicate that by playing straight pool on a bar table, on a Valley bar table, doesn't mean that he was one of them. That he's just because some people are doing it doesn't mean everybody's doing it. And Jason Shaw is actually the real deal, not a wannabe. And that was my point is that once you understand that I, I don't, anyway, that's my thought. Well, does that make any sense the way I said it? Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Yeah. He's not doing a thousand takes to try to post his high water mark. He's trying to, you know, he's a real player trying to accomplish a high run and he's doing kind of what, uh, what Schmidt did and it worked out for him. And he's yeah. not, he's not trying to be somebody he's not. Yeah. He's not that's trying to be thing. somebody he's not. He's a that's guy actually that's like, who he is. He's yeah, a guy he's, that runs 714. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. And I think what, what Demi's talking about is, and we had this with our, with our boot camp. Uh, I'm part of Demi's boot camp uh, mm. Facebook group. And it was the thing to post videos like, Hey, let's post our, videos. I wanted to talk about that. So explain this yeah. a little bit better. So within the, the group, they don't the even face- know what that is. Tell them what it is. Yeah. So, so Demi's um, students, Demi created a Facebook group for his students. So if you've gone to his camps uh, you can be part of this Facebook group. And then it's kind of like a continuing education, kind of ask questions, post some things um, and just kind of sharing, I, uh, uh, sharing stuff. And then Demi, Posts a lot of uh, different scenarios that come up, like uh, end game things. Or well, I, I, I want to tell. But, so yeah. my main purpose of this drill, uh, of this, I'm sorry, the main purpose of this training group, it's a private training group just for the people that have trained with me. And my goal was when people leave here, not only do I not want everything that they learn to turn into some dream that fades and they can't remember it all, and it's like they wake up trying to like, you know, horrified that all these breakthroughs are going to fade away and be forgotten. Like I don't want that to happen. So I want to make sure I reinforce the ideas of what I taught. 
and do ongoing training so that my students, the same things I do while they're here, I can do ongoing training remotely with cameras and with, with videos and all these things. So a lot of what I do, there's a lot of things, but the two things I really like to do, I like to do pattern reviews where it's not just, what would you do here and smugly talk about, you know, from the sidelines, like, no, really, how would you run these balls? And then oftentimes we've all got cameras so we can actually post like sometimes my last student, I, I posted a video of myself playing through a couple of layouts and saying, Hey, here's how I want you to run the balls out, run them out like this. And I demoed myself running them out different ways. So if he can't run them out that way, he can develop certain skills to close the gap on where he needs to. Anyway, so we do pattern reviews and we do video reviews. The video reviews are my students can, you know, after they've been, you know, back home for six months, they can do a, a set against the ghost, uh, post that, you know, email it to me. I actually edited my commentary and I do ongoing training with them. So I'll say, hey, here's what we trained on. Here are the areas that I see that you've improved. You did this really well. You did this really well. I see how you use this that we were talking about really well. And I see overall these things are going the right way. Here's a couple spots that we trained on that have gone backwards a step or that aren't working right. And then I'll, and then here's what we could do. And then I'll give them specific stuff to work on and say, why don't you set this run and that run up your second rack and your fifth rack. I want you to try to run them out this way, or here's a shot that consistently was being misplayed. Here's a drill that hits that shot. I want you to work on this drill and, and then come back to me and, and talk about it. You know, so I'll give them follow-up assignments to work on. And then the best part is that the only people that see these videos uh, are the people in my group so that if you post that video, not only do I give you ongoing coaching, but you get to see all the videos of me providing that ongoing coaching to other people. So you can see how the same ideas that you're learning and training on are working or not working for other people. And you get to hear it again and again, see it again and again, until finally you start seeing the table and playing the way I do. That's my goal. So that's, that was the purpose. Now there's other stuff that happens, you know, there's mental game, there's other, you know, questions and answers. And there's a community where in fact, I've got a group of my students that are actually, anyway, it doesn't matter. So it's really cool, but that's what the Facebook group is for. Yeah. And then the way that it kind of ties into what we were talking about with uh, Shaw and that situation and the two ways of looking at it kind of thing is that, you know, there's kind of a, a thing with Demi and it's not unwritten. It's specifically stated like there's there should be no cherry picking. And that's what he's trying to avoid is people going and filming 15, 20, 30, 40 sets and starting over and waiting till they get a set where they can win against whatever ghost level they're playing. Some guys play the four ball, six ball, seven ball, eight ball, whatever. And they cherry pick a set and, and send in the, where they win, you know, and, and that it's like, that's, that's not the culture that Demi wants. That's not, I don't feel like it's an authentic culture either. So I, I'm on board with it. Or when I participate in the group, I, I would do that. I would like, I sent in one where I lost, I think I lost on the hill of the ghost where I missed the eight that, that Demi was describing. Like I, yeah. And there's other sets where I did well, you know, but, but, but uh, I would just commit that when I turn on the camera, whatever happened, happened. And that's what I would post. So, so here's what I, here's what I told my students. Most players, they can't look in the mirror because what happens is if you watch your, so if you've never watched yourself play on camera, I would guess that over half the listeners have never actually seen themselves play a set on camera. Although maybe that's changing in today's age, mm -hmm. but I will, I will fill you in on how you play. It looks terrible. <laughs> it looks really, really, really bad. And Josh and I have talked about this and we've laughed about it. Like I've had sets where I've had sets on camera 
where it's so painful to watch. I don't, it's like, it's like a black hole in my memory. It's like, I try not to remember it, but there's, I'll, I'll tell you, if you want to listen, uh, you can go to watch my set with Omar El Shaheen. When I played Omar in, in Derby last uh, two years ago, that's pretty bad. The one where I lost to Dan Schneider uh, out at turning stone is pretty bad. I'm trying to think I've got some pretty, pretty bad. There's, there's even been sets where you've won. And that's what I was yeah. going to say. And then there's sets where I've won. So like I took a set off Mika nine to four at turning stone. So you can watch this one too. I was down two nothing. I won nine to four against Mika at turning stone. And I felt great after that set. I felt like I played a great set. And then when I went back and watched the video, I was like totally cringing. So like for every time you've had somebody like, I played perfect. I didn't miss yeah. a ball. It was awesome. It's like, if you actually watched, like it felt awesome because for you, it was a good performance and it was a good outcome. But when I went back and watched it, Mika got hosed. He played really good and just got hosed a few times. And I like kind of like swabbled through a few things and kind of came with some recovery shots. And somehow when I missed, it was, you know, got away with it. And it's like, somehow I ended up winning that set. And I'm telling you, like, I don't want to be off shots. I mean, I played good, but like, I I thought that when I went back and watched that video, it was going to be like, this is my moment to show that I played great. And I watched that video. I'm like, I wish they would take this out. <laughs> I mean, like literally yeah. it was kind of embarrassing. So the point is, is that when you actually watch, it's, it's pretty bad. We all, everybody listening to this, like we all play pretty bad pool. So that's it. Not, not, we don't really, but compared to how you wish it looked, it's not going to look like Shane smoothing around and running five passes. It's not going to look like Shaw 714. Nothing, it's not, it's not going to look like that. But the problem is, the problem is this. There's a false, it, it's, and I'll, it's the same thing with the beauty standards for young girls. So my daughter was in middle school. She's in high school now, but when she was in middle school, like I got to learn a little bit about social media and beauty standards. Yeah. And it used to be that it was like, oh, airbrushed models on the front of a magazine. But now it's like they've got software on apps Filters where people can take a yeah. hundred photos of themselves and then filter it to where they look like half cartoon. And then you're supposed to try to look like that. And basically this has resulted in one of the biggest crisis facing our country for, for people that have kids in middle school is like, uh, especially girls is like, there's been a ton of self-harm, a ton of increase in hospitalizations due to self-harm attempted suicide. It's yeah, terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. You know, eating disorders. I mean, it's, it's, it's so gross that, I can't even talk about it right now because I'll get carried away. So the bottom line is I got to see that play out and I'm like, oh my God. And then I look at pool and I'm like, it's the same thing. The beauty standards, I'm going to call it pool beauty standards. Yeah. It's like people have this beauty standards where everybody wants to be on camera looking like Jason Shaw yeah. or Shane Van Boning and you don't, and that's not reality. And that's not who you are. And that's not how you look. And, and so you can do one of two things. You can either accept that or you can play make-believe. And there's there's a lot of tools that allow you to play make-believe. You can record a thousand sets against the ghost, find one set where you win 5-0 and you happen to make all your recovery shots and get the right layouts and you know bump that ball and get away with it. And then post that up and be like, that's it. That's how Look I at me playing. Yeah. You know, that's my Tuesday. I just snapped off the yeah, ghost. That's how I play. But it's like, that's not reality. And so so what happened in our in our Facebook group and my Facebook group is that Nobody, like I'm doing coaching, the people that are serious enough about their game to come train with me and nobody was sending in videos to review. And there's a few different reasons. People talk about time. I don't have the time or I don't have the technology, but it's like, no, the time it takes an hour. And if you do that once a year, that's all I need from you. An hour a year, you don't have an hour a year. And even if out of the 50, 60 people in my group, even if half of them are busy, 
So then the, yeah, and then the technology like a- is the phone. You got a phone. So in the end, the real answer is this. If you go turn on the camera and record a set against the ghost, you will be embarrassed and ashamed of it if you compare that to the high highlight reels that you see on social media. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say, Josh? I was just going to say, I think a lot of it's almost like, you know, people do people fear public speaking. Like there's this cliches or little facts that people fear public speaking more than they fear death. Fear, <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's like, I, I feel like when you turn on the camera and you, and you film yourself playing pool to some people, it can be like, this very, very, very anxious thing and fearful thing. And, and so that makes sense that they would want to do it a thousand times and try to cherry pick. And I, I get that. So some of that could be that, but it also could be it's, there's an inertia thing for your, for some of the, the students, I think, where they're, they can come up with reasons that sound good in their head, but the real reason is they don't want to do it. It's fearful. You know, it's, yeah, it's embarrassing. That's, that's the it's, truth. They don't want to be embarrassed and everything like that. So, man, I posted up some stuff on there that I wasn't like super proud of. And, but I was proud that I posted it. You know, I remember I posted a ghost where I lost to the ghost and I dogged it and I'm just like, it sucked. And, and, but I wanted to be, I wanted to push, like, this is when it was first kind of getting going too. I wanted to push that culture where it's like, Hey, I'm a high rated player. And I, you know, I definitely can run the ghost over at times, but there's also times where, I uh, I don't run the ghost over, and there is times when I miss the eight, you know, on the last game. Yeah, and if we and if we went downstairs, flipped on the camera on my table right now, and you played a race to five against the ghost, you might win five zero five one, but you could lose five two and just completely be hooking yourself and yeah. rattling balls. Yeah, and it's like or or just or just scratching your head, wondering how you could ever win. It's like yeah, that's the that's the truth, and I know because I do this every week against the ghost, and I've had it's the same. So so the culture that I'm trying to set in my pri- private training group is. We flip on the camera, we play a set, and that's the set we review. And it hurts because the truth hurts, but it doesn't have to. Because you can either be upset, you can either be upset that your game does not look like the cartoon that you see everywhere else. It's it's not going to look like the cartoon you see on social media, and it's not going to look like Jason Shaw, because Jason Shaw is genuinely a world champion, or you know whatever at the world champion level, and 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 these cartoons on social media aren't even worth looking at because they're not reality. They're, they're, they're filtered in a hundred ways. Yeah. So then, so then the, but, but you can either be upset that you don't play as good as a, a world champion or a cartoon, or you can say to yourself, I'm strong enough to accept my game the way it is. And I can look in the mirror and be okay with it. And I'm okay with my imperfections and I'm okay with my shortcomings because you know what, what's actually admirable is that you're strong enough to look in the mirror and accept it. And then take one step to try to do better. Yeah, you're going to work. And you can get better without being loathing of yourself. And it's not like I can't stand how I look. So I'm going to starve myself. No, no, no. It's like, I like the way I look and I will enjoy as I look better. So let's keep going. Yeah. You know, and so that's the culture that I want is there's, there's no reason to feel bad about how you look, even though it's not as good as you wish it was. Well, that's why we train and that's why we practice. And that's why this is fun. But I, I really, I think that the social media culture that's poisoning young girls is horrible. And I see the same thing in the pool world. And I find that very, very distasteful. And I don't like, I don't like influencers. I don't like social media divas. I don't like people that are trying to build a following in, in this way by, by being cartoonish. I like the genuine people that are either genuine, genuine competitors 
that have a, a, a draw based on their exceptionalism or people that are genuinely down to earth. And I'll give you an example, like little Chris, little Chris, he's providing content. He's a very genuine person. And when he does his straight pool runs, mm-hmm. he does it live stream and you get to see him struggle and yeah, fail day yeah. after day after That's day. Really cool. And he is not cherry picking. He's yeah. genuinely like, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. And you get to be part of it. Yeah. He is the opposite. And I admire, so I'm not, it's not that I'm against influencers. I'm not against people having a following. I, it's the way it's done. And I admire the genuine authenticity, authenticity. Yep. yep. versus the people that are like, you know, hitting trick shots and timing shots that took a thousand tries and acting like this is how I play. Yeah. I, I, uh, so social media came around, I don't know, Facebook, maybe eight, 10 years ago. And I just remember when I got on Facebook, I got immediately, I'm trying to catch the right angle and kind of, you know, have something look like that's, it's hard to, I'll give an example of what I just saw, ironically. Uh, so someone that's on social media, a Facebook that I saw a post, like literally I was waiting for you to start the podcast. And I looked on, on the guy had a picture of his, uh, he had a picture and in the picture, he had about 50% of a Rolex. Oh, just conveniently, <laughs> conveniently plays. Convenient Rolex is convenient. convenient exactly. <laughs> and I looked at it and I'm just like, Mother effer. I go, <laughs> you, so I, I, I like literally zoomed in so I could see that it was a rolly. And I'm like, this mother effer just dropped his rolly on the, on the, just conveniently, just, a, just half the rolly and just showed it. And I'm just like, man, oh, so, so eight years ago, I caught myself doing that. And I was like, I looked at myself in the mirror and I'm like, that's not who you are. That is not who you are. So I started, um, and I wanted to, to do stuff on Facebook. So I write, I don't know if if any of you guys are friends with me on Facebook. I like to write like humorous little things about my family and my experience. And I like to humor write. And so I just decided I want to do creative humor writing on Facebook and use that as my platform, but I want to be authentic. Like I want to talk about the shit show that it is raising three kids and being married and the ups and downs and all the things that go on with it, it, the good and the bad and the ugly. And I want to share all of it, not just the good stuff. And I don't want to have like, like an embroidered Demi always says an embroidered pillow version with a, don't you say that embroidered well, pillow? Well, like the people that have like the little trite sayings yeah, on embroidered yeah. pillows. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I don't, I didn't, I didn't want to present that to the world. And, and, uh, and that's, so I have a big um, distaste for that when I see it and I see it very, very regularly. So it was just ironic that I saw the guys Rolex today. And uh, that's very funny. Yeah. So that's exactly what we're talking yeah, about. So is it. It, and if that was you, if somebody's listening, that's like, you know, uh, then we're very sorry. And we actually, where can we get that watch? And never mind, don't even answer because I can't afford it. Exactly. I'm not you. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So then the point is going back to the Jason Shaw thing. So with that in mind, I think that there's a lot of people that also feel the way we feel. Yeah. And so then they think that Jason Shaw is, being inauthentic there they mistake that and yeah. so now with that lens we can say no 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 he's not up there being inauthentic he's authentically a 714 runner. he is a gorilla in a gorilla suit demi the gorilla and the gorilla suit loose at the mall you right. know what the other one i heard and these are like i think i saw these on az billiards the funny picture thread these are I mean, i'm sure they're universal memes was uh to get five to get four pigs and you paint numbers on their backs number one number two number three and number five and you turn them loose in the mall and then you sit back and watch the security guards try to find number four <laughs> i don't know anyway okay sorry yeah. the gorilla the gorilla suit has always been my favorite so yeah. thanks josh yeah okay um 
social media. So that's it. So, so to everybody listening, don't fall for that stuff. Uh, if you want to, if you enjoy it for people that enjoy it, you could, I, I get a lot of posts on, you know, AZ billiards, people are like, Oh yeah, I, I recognize it for what it is. And that stuff doesn't influence me. And, you know, I just see it for what it is. And I know the truth that I just, I just play well. Like I've had a lot of people dismiss this, but you can't dismiss trends and you can't dismiss what's happened in middle schools. And you can't dismiss, you know, you can't just be like, I understand that's not how my friends, it's like, no, well, that's not how it works. And the fact is, is that I've got 60 genuine competitors that have come trained with me that are being affected by this stuff. So don't tell me that it's not an issue. Um, so if you're listening, look in the mirror, record a set of pool at random. Don't restart it five times. Don't get mulligans. Just record a set and watch how you play. And then under pressure, that's the best part about that's these, the best part. These, it's this the training pressure. Group, yeah, it's my the my, my guys that do this, they say when they post these sets yeah. for the training group, they say that they felt more nervous than they've ever been in their entire yes, life. Exactly. And here it is a private training group where like literally we're all supportive. Everybody's supportive. You're like, playing for fun on your own team. Everybody on. And yeah. it's like, but meanwhile, it's like they've never, and that's such great practice. It's awesome. It's, so it's like you get so much, you're getting professional coaching and great practice under pressure. But if you have the, if you're you getting have professional the first, simulations, like that's, that's it. That's that is a professional simulation. That's how, yeah, that's awesome. So they're getting so much, but the fact is, is that uh, don't, don't let it stop you. Just be who you are, be the player you are. Don't, you don't, and don't compete with attention grabbers, cherry picking sets. So, okay. Yep. <sighs> Next podcast, one monster limit. One. Oh, oh yeah. That's right. Sorry. Okay. So that ties in to the next topic, which is our main topic, which is the sadistic genie. Sadistic genie. <laughs> so I wrote a post on AZ Billiards called the sadistic genie. And it was basically like this. Suppose a genie, you know, suppose you found a genie and you wanted to wish for an awesome Jason Shaw pool game. And the genie was kind of had a, a sadistic streak or a mean streak. And he said, hey, I'll make you a deal. I will grant your wish that you will play stunning, amazing pool better than you ever thought you could play half the time. And the other half the time, it's going to be horrible and you're going to fall apart and play terrible and just dog it. And, and it'll be like the most painful experience of your life. Would you take that? Would you take amazing half the time, terrible half the time? And if you knew that with that would come amazing wins and amazing high water marks and tremendous performances, would you be willing to take the good with the bad? And that was my hypothetical because my case that I went on to make is that that is, that is pool. And that when you play pool, nobody plays good all the time. Nobody plays their, I should say, nobody plays their best all the time. And so trying to become a player that banishes the bad part of your performance range is futile. It's, it's, it's impossible. It's unrealistic. And it leads to not only a lot of misery, but I think it stunts your performances and your progress. So that's my argument that I'm prepared to make here, mm -hmm. but I'll let, I'll let you start. What you read the post and you've heard me talk about this. What, yeah. When I talked about that, what were your thoughts? Well, when you just said it there, I thought, well, that is pool, you know? And so it takes a while to get there to realize that, but because it's not fun, man. It's not, <laughs> it's not fun to go through the, the, the 50% or whatever it is. 
because the 50 feels like 80 or 90 <laughs> yeah. percent and it feels like i never you know people can feel i felt this way before but for sure i feel like i never win i feel like i always lose and uh and uh never play good and that's not true you know it's like yeah i i think that if you can kind of oh, you well you've talked to me demi about contentment like that's been a huge thing that's been a big change for me over the last 90 days and i think that post was all about finding contentment with your game finding contentment with the low end of your range and finding you know joy in the high end of your range and finding joy overall with just playing so that's what i think i just think how do you get there you know how do you how do you maintain contentment and still strive to get better that's probably the question. Yeah, and we've talked about that with the narrative. So anybody that's listening can go back and find the narrative podcast, which ties into this. But what I saw was, before we talk about what we should do, let, let me talk about some of the traps and some of the myths. If I were to talk about a common narrative and trap that people fall into, it's this idea that, man, it's this, so it's the consistency myth. So I've, I've talked about it lightly before, but it's been years, and I just want to make sure everyone's clear. People have this idea that when they play their best, man, do they really play good. And when it comes together and sometimes they can make those long banks, they just know that they're going to make the bank and they can feel it. And then when their stroke is going right where they're looking and everything's clean and they're striking the balls well and they're feeling good, they're not nervous. And they're not only are they not nervous, they're coming, they're digging deep and overcoming and doing whatever it takes to win. They just really feel good. And when they feel that way and they're playing that way, they play amazing pool. But the problem is a lot of the days that just doesn't work and they're just struggling and their stroke isn't going where they're looking and they don't feel great and they, they feel nervous and, and snake bit and, and, you know, tentative and they don't, and they don't rise to the occasion and get it done. In fact, they, they have routine situations that find ways to fumble them under key spots and they, they feel like something's, you know, doomed and there's something about to go wrong. And how come it feels like this when I really want it and all this stuff. And, and, and if I could, and so the problem in their mind is I have this in me where I play great a lot of the time, but for some reason, it just doesn't happen all the time. And this other guy shows up that just doesn't play very good. And if I could just get rid of that guy, then I'd be this great player that I know I really am. So the problem is I'm inconsistent and I've got this dog part of me that I need to get rid of. And then they come up with theories on how they're going to get rid of that dog part of the player. So Josh, what are their, what is their theory? How are they going to, how are they going to achieve consistency? Demi, the fundamentals, my friend. Yes. They're going to, they're going to stroke into a Coke bottle and go to a blank clinic where they get, you know, step on duct tape for three days and, you know, shoot a thousand stop shots a day until their fundamentals are like a machine. They're going to figure out. And if that doesn't work, then it's something else. But the problem is consistency. And the way to fix consistency is with fundamentals or the way to fix consistency is with hours on the table. And the way to fix consistency is with ABC. They come up with all these different plans that are going to fix the consistency. Because ultimately, if we zoom out, you can almost say it like this. They enjoy the game when they're playing well. And they don't enjoy the game when they're playing poorly. And the reason is because their goal is to be a player that always plays well. And so when they're playing well, that, that, that narrative is working or that they're, they're, they, they think they're on that path. And then when they're not playing well, they're like, oh, no, everything's wrong. I'm not, I have not yet become the guy that always plays well. Something's horribly wrong. It's not working. I'm not where I want to be. And so they, their goal is to vanish the, the gobbledygook part of their, 
their range. And, and so every time they play, they're afraid. They're always afraid that that's going to happen because that means that they haven't achieved their goal of banishing that guy yet. And they're always concocting a strategy and how they're going to banish that guy. And then they work on their strategy and then they have some good performances and they think it's working. And then that gobbledygook guy shows up again and like, darn it, it still hasn't worked. And so then they, they try fundamentals, they try hours, they try lessons, they try practice, they try all these different things. And, and it never, it never gets better. They never banish that guy. And so then they, some people quit and they say, well, I just didn't have the talent or I just didn't have the time. But, but the problem is, is that it can't be done. So let's do some myths. So that's the, that's the narrative. And that's, that, that's what leads to a lot of frustration. So the truth about consistency is this. It doesn't exist. Mike Page from Fargo Rate Billiards, owner, you know, or the creator, one of the creators of Fargo Rate Billiards, uh, Fargo Rate, was, um, so check out this video. If you search Fargo Rate consistency, you might have to scroll down, but it's like a three-minute video talking about the myth of consistency. And what it shows is that every player has the exact same bell curve of performance range. So if you're a 500 Fargo rate player, some days you might play 575, some days you might play 425, but that you're going to have a 75 point plus or minus on your average. This player thinks that the issue is consistency because they think that they play 575 pool. And if they could just do that more often, be more consistent, but really that's not how it works because you know what happens is that 575 gets better then their best day looks like a 600. But their worst day looks like a 450. And then if they get better, then their best day looks like a 650. And their worst day looks like a 500. So they can get better and they can increase their overall performance range. But it never gets more consistent. In fact, Shane and all these guys that are 825, they have the same range of performance. They go from 900 to 750. It's the exact same range of performance. And Mike Page does a really good analysis showing that. So have you seen that video? Or have you just I haven't, but you, okay. we've talked about it. I'm aware of it. Yeah, that, that range. Yeah. Yeah. So then what, I mean, there are things you can do. You can get more consistent at certain shots. You can get more consistent at certain positional plays. You can get more consistent at specific sub-techniques. So, and that'll lift your performance range but your range will always be wide. Go ahead, Josh. So let me just ask you, Demi, yeah. when you talk about this, I hear, I hear what you're saying. And so maybe the listeners here too. Thank but, you. But, me a little bit here. Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to ask. It's a, a big topic. It's so a big topic. Help. So I'm trying to ask a question. What is the value in knowing of that range? Because I see the value in it and I, I could see it has something to do with contentment and acceptance it went and, and maybe that I'm sorry. Fucking, oh, sorry. No, no, I found I uh, maybe stepped in your touch on call. But my my question is, what's the value? Like, I get it. I so, hear you. Yeah. So I, I'll answer that. I just want to be really clear that the uh, that the, the rea- let's talk about what I just want to make sure that we're clear on what the reality is. So the reality is there is no consistency and that and so if you are a let's just pretend consistently inconsistent that's what it is so that's the consistency you're a, suppose you're a 600 player that some days play 675 but there are some days you play 525 and you're like man the days i'm playing 650 675 feel really really good those days feel really good 
they want to feel really, really good all the time. But here's the funny part is if they got better and better and better and better to where they became a 750 Fargo rate player. Oh, I'll, I'll just use me. I'm like 730 something right now. I, I am a player that consistently plays at a 650 level or higher because on my bad days, I play 650. Mm-hmm. So therefore, that's one way. That's the only way to achieve consistent performance at the 650 level is to get to it's 730 to get, plus. Exactly. Yes. But then the funny part is there are days I play 800 level for short bursts of time. And so for me, now that I'm where I'm at, when I play at the 650 level, I don't feel great the way the 575 player that plays at the same level feels. Mm-hmm. Because for me, now I've got a new idea of what my best game is. And, and when I'm playing 650 level, it's when everything is going wrong and I can't do anything right. And I'm feeling snake bit. You know what I mean? So the point is, is that you can achieve there there's because i got a lot of the reason i want to clarify reality is a lot of people were arguing with me on things you can get more consistent in certain shots you can get more consistent in certain techniques you can improve your performance range and you can consistently perform at a certain level by increasing your entire performance range to the point where the bottom of that range is at that level but you can't you can't eliminate the range variation you can't eliminate good days and bad days and, and that no matter how high you drive the bottom of your range it feels terrible. So when Shane plays 740 pool, he's not like, isn't this awesome that I always play 740 pool? He's like, he, he's he's miserable. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah I'm sure. I'm sure he's not, not like well, We've it. seen it. Remember when he played Dennis that raced yeah, to 120? Yeah. yeah. You, were, you were calling him a choke bag. That oh, come was, on. Oh, I, you did. And you said he's, he he's looks like a choke bag. That he was if fighting Shane never heard this. No, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> he won't. Exactly. <laughs> because he doesn't listen to podcasts. Exactly, exactly. It'll never get back to him. <laughs> no, I did. Okay, I, I might have mumbled that out. <laughs> no, no, no. Listen, no, I did. Say but we're that. not. Listen, see, Shane doesn't have anything to apologize. Yeah, I mean, the guy's he's a, literally the. He's a go- he's a goat. Yeah, he's a goat. So, so it's, the, the point in that, that situation, he was a joke magnet at the end of that set. Yeah, yeah, and so the fact that we're using him as an example of how everyone's human. It's because we were picking literally the greatest yeah. player of all time yeah. to show that he's human. So that's a compliment. Yeah. I mean, if anybody should be insulted, it's like Dennis should be like, well, why didn't I pick? I've, I've had bad days too. Why, why didn't he pick on me? So, anyway. <laughs> exactly. so okay. That's that's the way I, I try to save that one. I try to catch no, it's totally one. Fine. It's totally fine. Okay. So anyway, the, um, okay. So your question was, how does that understanding help? Yeah, because I, I, first. I'll let you go for a no, while. No, I, I mean, I guess, I guess. I thought I kind of answered it maybe for myself. I wanted to hear your opinion too. I think it leads to contentment because it leads to acceptance. And contentment's a weird word, man, for because it, it sounds like, well, I'm not going to work on anything anymore. I'm not going to try to get better. I'm content. I'm just, I'm just happy where I'm at. But and maybe you can talk about that, Demi, because you're 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 like uh, you know, my sensei on it. So, but but I think that when you realize that you have a range and your range goes 75 low and 75 high and that there is no, I'm just always going to figure out a way to do this or do that to get at the top of my range. Um, It's just not possible. So, so the reality is the only way to get a higher consistent range is to build up your overall skill set and range. So if you go, and you know, if you go from like a 650 to a 700 Fargo, like Demi's already said it, then you, you go up 50 points in your range, uh, your score, your rating, then your low will come up 50 points. But, but there is no, once, once you kind of realize that there is no, I just need to be more consistent, then I feel like 
you're more in reality. And once you get into reality, then you can relax and be more calm and more free and more flowing and not so strangling something out of your game. So, yeah. Look, so specifically, there's a there's a there's a bunch of little points here that are not little. They're very. Very specifically, how does that help? Well, if you understand that you cannot eliminate bad days and that there's no matter how hard you work and how much better you get, there will always be days when it's not working the way it normally would for you. And and you can't eliminate that. As long as you think that you can eliminate that, then you will expect that if you work long and hard that you will be able to eliminate the bad part of your performance range. Well, then every time you have the bad part of your performance range, it will be frustrating and you will feel betrayed and you will feel misled because you had this deal that if I work long enough and hard enough, this will go away. And then you got short change because that didn't happen for you. So it's a, it's a covert contract with yourself. Like who told you, who told you that you'd be able to eliminate your bad days with long, hard work? That's a story. That's a narrative that you told you, you made that up. You know why? Because you wish it was true. You wish that if you work long and hard, you could eliminate bad days. So you told yourself that you could, and then you tried, and then it doesn't work. And then you get mad because that's not how it works. So in general, when your expectations don't match reality, it creates frustration and, and, and fear. And that's where the frustration comes from is I thought that I could eliminate this and it hasn't happened for me. And when, and it's like, does is that right? Yeah, I just had a quick question for yeah. you. Is it possible, Demi, that a player, without practicing or doing something or plugging leaks or doing anything, if they could understand this concept, that their overall performance would go up yes. without making any changes? Because yeah, but the, just because the mental yes, it will. Because the mental game is a skill that just like if you get better at shot making, your Fargo rate performance will go up. If you understand what I'm talking about, this will lift your performance range. It won't make you, and I'll explain why. It's not going to lift you to the top of your range no, at all times. It's not going to make you quote unquote consistent. It's going to lift your overall performance. Correct. Range. Yes. I, I yeah, put a Fargo rate number on it. I mean, I think that if a person could understand this and, and really embrace it, I think it, it could bump, you know, five, 10, 15 points. And I'll give, it a, I'll give a specific example of how in a minute. So this is all overview. So the other part, because I talked about frustration. So the first, there's, there's two different things. One is performance and one is enjoyment. You're talking contentment. Now you're talking performance. Mm -hmm. So I want to answer both. Mm -hmm. So as far as contentment goes, if you are perpetually miserable and frustrated because you feel betrayed by the universe that you're not performing consistently up the top of your performance range because you thought you could, I'm here to say, hey, if you accept that that's not possible, then when you're playing more uh, the lower end of your performance range, you don't have to let that get to you as much. You can just be like, yeah, I know half the time I'm a donkey. No big deal. Yeah. So that's one where from a contentment standpoint, that's one example. The other part is fear. Why would this lead to fear? It's because when people tell themselves that with enough hard work, they can eliminate their inconsistency. Then every time they start playing well and performing well, they get very excited because they're like, maybe this is the time when I finally got rid of gobbledygook guy. Mm -hmm. Maybe I think that this stance and this, this stroke and the way I'm hitting them lately, I really feel like I broke through to where I don't think I'm going to feel that way anymore. And I, the last four times I've played, I've just been so calm and confident and nothing's been going wrong. And I, I just think the days of being nervous, being nervous and choking and dog and falls for no reason. I think that's the old me. I think I'm good now. Mm -hmm. And then the problem is 
it's not true. And deep down, they're terrified that they felt this way before where they thought they got rid of gobbledygook guy and they they're trying to convince themselves it's almost like a guy tentatively testing the ice on a lake like is this gonna hold like is this gonna really keep going this way can i really keep being this guy and then they're horrified that don't be a dream that fades someday i want it so bad that i just could I, this has to be real this has to be real this has to be real and then they're terrified and then all of a sudden they're always terrified when they perform that this might be the day it falls apart because deep down deep down deep down they know the truth and then but when they play bad it's like oh man not this again and every time it's not only are they playing bad not only is it painful to play bad but then their whole this whole crashing and burning and disillusionment of like their their dream that they so it's not only do they feel betrayed that they thought they could achieve that dream but they actually thought they had it they thought they had the winning lotto ticket yeah. and now they're being told it's a fake and it's like it's like this huge letdown because they were they thought they they thought they won the, the they thought they were the golden ticket. They yeah. had a golden ticket, you know. So that's where it leads to frustration, and that's where it leads to fear. So then, let's talk about how does that frustration and fear impact your actual performance. So right away, even if it doesn't, even if there's no performance advantage or disadvantage of mental game, just just by telling everybody listening that if you can accept that there's a performance range, and when you're playing poorly. You can accept and embrace that and say, that doesn't define you. This isn't horrible. This isn't, doesn't mean you're on the wrong. These are all the things that people do to make it worse. You can't make it better, but you can, there's a lot of things you can do to make it worse. So when most people are playing poorly, they think this means, I guess there's something fundamentally wrong with me. I must be defective because I haven't figured this out yet. Or they think I must be on the wrong road and I'm not training the right things and I'm going the wrong direction and nothing's working. And what you know and 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 so it's not just the pain there's a little bit of pain from playing badly but there's a lot of pain from the stories we tell ourselves about yeah. what, what this means about us playing badly and so if you're telling yourself stories about being defective and being on the wrong road and how you're never going to achieve anything great and that's why you're everything your dad said about you was right you know what i mean it's yeah, like yeah. it's like this is way worse yeah. than just a bad session mm -hmm. we're making this way worse than it needs to be and the other part is the fear part with every time you go to the pool hall if there's a chance that you're hoping that today is the day you play good and break through and the gobbledygook guy is gone forever, but you're secretly terrified that this could be the day you play poorly, in which case you have to go through all that hell and pain, then you're under a lot of pressure because every time you play, you're not just playing the game of pool. You're playing like you're playing to try to prove your dad wrong. Worthiness hustle. Yeah. It's a worthiness hustle. And you're playing for your eternal salvation. You're creating so much pressure on the results because you're allowing the results of this session to, to empower the demons that are screaming at you about how worthless you are, how terrible you are, how defective you are. And so if you attach, if you, if you say, well, if I play poorly, then I guess I really am a worthless piece. Well, then you're, you're, you're creating a lot of pressure on yourself. And it's hard to play confident, loose, happy pool when you're playing for your your personal self-worth yeah so without even talking about performance from a contentment standpoint if you could accept this model and just say i will have good days i will have bad days i will edge up my skill sets so that my best days get better my worst days get better but i understand that i will have good days and bad days and when the bad days come it will feel like I'm on the wrong path and it will feel like nothing ever works for me. And it will feel like, how come I haven't figured this out? How come I've been playing? I mean, I feel this way all the time where it's like, how can I be an instructor and I've been playing pool for 30 years and I can compete in professional tournaments. And then there's days I can't make a ball straight in the pocket. Like, why does that happen still? I mean, what, what the heck's wrong? And then I'm like, no, no, no. So the difference between me 
and where I was before I understood this years ago is that now when I think I still have those thoughts and it still sucks when I miss that six pole straight in, but like when that happens, that's all it is, is yeah. Okay. That was a bad shot. Okay. That wasn't my best shot. And that that's it. And there's no additional encumbrance from any other demons or, or negative emotions. So it's been incredibly free. So that's the contentment side is that I, you, I, and if everybody can enjoy their pool game, like if your goal is to enjoy your pool game, then, then right there, even before I make a case about performance, I would like to think that we could just agree to you to accept this and embrace this a little bit better, because even if it doesn't improve performance, if it improves your peace of mind and your contentment, that I think that's enough. Exactly. In fact, I think it's, it's paramount. Yep. Yeah. And I, and I think that the performance thing just follows. Like I, the more we I've listened to you talk and we were talking and I'm thinking about it, I think it's pretty obvious that if you're more relaxed, you're going to perform better. And if you're more like at peace with the outcomes, you're going to perform better. And maybe not everybody knows that, but I, I think they do. So yeah, so I think that's about, what we're talking about. Yeah. We'll talk about the performance. How have you, I, I've got examples and answers about how that improve your actual performance. But yeah, yeah, I just, I think that I have experience going and playing players and spiraling and losing to players that are far underrated to me and just spiraling for hours and hours and not being able to course correct and pull out of it. And just, you know, it's just abysmal. And, you know, it's because of all the stuff you were talking about. And what I'm saying is now when I play pool, um, especially recently, since I've gone through all, all the contentment kind of practices that I've been working on over the next last three months, um, I don't freak out when something bad happens. I don't, and, and poker taught me a lot about that too. We can talk about, I can, but uh, yeah, this is like, I don't freak out when something bad happens. I just know that, that there is a range of outcomes and that sometimes I miss shots and that's okay. So then that keeps me in more of a calm flowing state and I'm able to be at the more par of my performance range. I don't have those huge dips, you know? Yeah. So. And, and so when I'll give a few examples of how this could improve performance, when you're having your bad day where, where you feel like everything's so bad that you're going to quit and sell your cues and that nothing, and that it's so hopeless that it doesn't even matter anymore. Don't even mark my games anymore. Cause who cares? I just like, it's so bad that like, there's nothing left to even play for because when you're, when you're playing to prove that you're, you've become this consistent top player now, and now is your time. Then when, it, when that illusion bursts, it's so painful that you can get into like, it doesn't even matter to me anymore. I don't care. But if you don't feel that way about your worst game, if you've embraced your worst game and you've made it part of yourself and you don't have anything to hide and you're actually like, it's not, thrilling to play your worst and it never will be but like it's not as horrifying well then when you're playing your worst you can realize that actually you can you can actually enjoy the game even when you're playing badly and you can actually improve your performance when you're playing badly so when you're playing terrible if you can keep calm and keep trying and keep making good decisions and keep going through the process and saying yeah it feels terrible and it feels like why bother try because nothing works anyway but you know what I'm going to go ahead and try on the shot anyway. 
Mm-hmm. And you might still miss a bunch of money balls that day, but what if you missed one less? Mm-hmm. That's improvement. Yes. Now that's not the improvement you want. The improvement you want is to have a consistent range where that doesn't, you don't miss money balls, but that's not going to happen. So which let me here's the reality. You're going to have days when you miss money balls and days when you don't. So now you don't get to have days where you never miss the money ball. Do you want to, the days where you miss the money balls? What if you missed a couple less? What if you dogged it just a little bit less? Well, that is where it has a direct impact on your overall performance. That's a right? direct impact. Because yeah. now, and it's not, it's not fun to talk about taking your worst game and making it half a ball or a ball better, but it's real. And how many tournaments have we been to where you've seen me play my worst and then manage through a match and keep calm and somehow get a win where I needed it? And then all of a sudden turn it around and catch a gear and make a yeah. run. Yeah. It's like half the runs I've made in tournaments have involved navigating through some horrible sets. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so, so that's one that, and I've talked about it with sales coaching where people, that, that, I don't even want to go into it. Okay. So improving your worst performance because you're not defeated and negative and, and because you're not overly frustrated, if you could manage through it. And I think your average and your higher performances will be higher too, because you feel more flow. Like you're not, if you start playing good, you don't have the doom and gloom guy tapping on your shoulder as much because you can accept if you're going to miss, you're not afraid of missing or you're not afraid of, of losing your, and when your you're high playing, range. When you're playing good, you're not terrified that the illusion is going to burst because you don't have saying. an illusion. Yeah, exactly. So I'll, I'll be real specific. I'll tell you a funny story. So Josh and I haven't played pool for a few months. And, and so I've had some sessions in the last few months where I've, I've absolutely played the best pool of my life. Uh, since, you know, Josh and I were at the, I mean, so I've had many little breakthroughs, right? We're like at the U.S. Open where we're warming up for the U.S. Open out in Philadelphia. I was having some breakthroughs. Um, I've had some breakthroughs with the break shot. Um, and I've had some, um, I've just had some things. I, I've had, I went and trained with Dr. Dave and he showed me some stuff and something he showed me has really helped me on some certain types of shots that were really causing me pain. And because of those things, when my game comes together, I have seen my game come together and I've had mental breakthroughs and I've seen my game come together in ways that it never has before. And I've had some performances that are, that are a lifetime's accomplishment. <laughs> like, like now I understand why I put all this time in a pool because that's what I was trying to do. So then Josh is coming over. We haven't played for a while. And I found myself like really nervous. Like I'm hoping that I play my best game so Josh could see what all, of, all the work that you put in like and all, all the work. Yeah, so this exactly. is like a really thing. This is like something where I'm like, Oh man, I hope that today's the day it all comes together. So he could see that. And I'm like, what, what, wouldn't it be terrible if I, my break fell apart and I just start going off the table or wouldn't it be terrible if the old gobbledygook guy shows up and I start all the stuff that I've had come together just doesn't work. And I play terrible. And then he's like, yeah, same old gobbledygook Demetrius. That's yeah, you, know, you thought you were getting better, but whatever, man. And I and so it's like I didn't realize this because here's the funny part about mental game is like you don't always know why you're nervous. You just feel something squeezy and you don't know why. So then you gotta look at it like say, how am I feeling? And it's like, well, I'm feeling a little like I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling nervous about something. I'm like, what am I nervous about? And I started examining my thoughts and I'm like, I really want to show Josh how good I'm playing. And then I started thinking about why is that the case? Why is that the case? And so then, and I didn't go down the rabbit hole. This was just like this morning. Like this is just this morning. (laughs) But like part of it was like, part of it was like, there are, there are things that are 
you know, there are strengths and weaknesses in my pool game. And, and so when I'm at my worst, I can look at those weaknesses and say, well, that's why you're never going to be a player. That's why you're never going to do anything that matters. And so part of me wants to buy into this myth that I can fix all those things and banish them and be Superman. And part of me, and part of me wants, so, so if I can show Josh that that's not the case somehow, like, and then Josh and I have a long friendship and some background. And then there's, there's been, you know, we don't compete against each other, but, you know, but we always push each other and challenge each other. We're both trying to, you know, we're both trying to keep up with each other and all this stuff. And anyway, it gets, it gets hard. And I, I haven't even figured out it verbally. I haven't found ways to articulate why it was that I felt it was important that, but then as I thought about it, I was able to like, even, even without going into articulating it all, I was able to say to myself, you know what? No, I'm good, man. I'm good because I know how good I'm playing. And I know also how good I'm not playing. I understand vividly how good I'm not playing. And I understand how vividly, how good I can play. And I don't need Josh, just like, just like I'm, I'm capable of not cherry picking sets for my Facebook group. When I post a set of pool, if I lay a turd where I lose seven, one of the ghost, I can post that. And it's okay because whether or not one of the students of my group thinks that I played a horrible set and you're not as good as you think you are, that's fine. Like I, I, I not like, I am as good as I think I am because I don't think that I, I'm better than that. You know what I mean? So it's like, as I was able to accept that, I'm like, no, if today's the day that it doesn't come together and it seems to Josh, like, cause I think there's part of it is I've been working really hard. And so that if Josh doesn't see improvement, then maybe I feel like, well, then why have I been working so hard if I haven't gotten better? And if I can't show that I've gotten better then I guess I haven't really been improving and I'm still just this gobbledygook guy. It's like, no, I understand that I've been improving and I understand I've been working really hard, but I also understand that it doesn't mean that I can just rain packages at will. And so if today's not the day where all that hard work pays off with an accelerating performance, that's okay. I don't have to think that just because Josh didn't get to see it, that that doesn't mean that I'm not making progress, that I'm not on the right road and that there's something defective about me. And so I was able to let that go and just play pool. And then the funny part is I felt way less pressure because I didn't really care anymore. I just wanted to play and have fun playing pool. And then the funny part is, Josh, I don't know if I played good or terrible today. And the, and it doesn't matter because I had fun playing with you and I played my hardest and some, some, I made some flutters, but I made some amazing shots and I had fun playing and it's, that's all that matters to me. It's like, I don't even know how I played. I didn't need to put a Fargo rate on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So that was my experience. So this is how it improves performance is that anytime you can get more aligned with reality, it will reduce the number of negative emotions of fear and frustration that you have. And and it will allow you to better navigate through difficult situations. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So you talked about that with, with me too, Demi, because I've been calling you because I've been playing a little bit and I'm like, man, I'm playing good. I'm playing good. Yeah, and you, yeah. you, you call me, you, you memo me back and you're like, you're like, well, of course you're playing good. You have zero expectations. Every time you go in, you feel really excited that you get to play pool and uh, there's no, you don't, you're not playing, like, I'm not playing under pressure. I'm not playing in tournaments for money or anything. I'm just playing because I enjoy playing and I'm having fun and, and, uh, and I'm relaxed and everything. And that's, and I don't have the expectations, you know? So it's like, it's, it's pretty cool, man. I can see the performance increase by just 
being more accepting. Like I went in accepting and thinking, not thinking I was going to play terrible, but aware that I could play absolutely terrible because I haven't played in six or eight months, but it's uh, yeah. That so helped. in the future, there's some things that we could actually do to talk about this. There's another level to all this that I think is going to be really exciting for people to hear about, but this is just setting the table for that. But, uh, but I think it's really good. Um, I lost my train of thought. We were saying that um, we were saying that, uh, you know, acceptance content. Oh, there was one thing I want to mention. You were talking about this idea of contentment and then people being afraid of being content because they're like, well, if I could accept playing bad, well, then I won't be motivated to get better. And so what this actually is, is there's the ego part of us. And I'm not talking the ego, like, look at how good I am. I'm saying there's, there's a driving taskmaster voice inside of us that's trying to like control. And it's trying to believe that we're better than we are. It's trying to believe that we can eliminate the weak parts of our game. It's trying to, it's the one that associates a lot of meaning with short-term performances. It's the one that, that, that it's the one, it's the voice of the demons, honestly. And in some weird ways, you can almost look at it like it's the devil, but it's, there's a part of us that really, really, really does not want to be dismissed. Those demons don't want to be ignored. And so they, and, and the ego doesn't like to be ignored. So if you say, no, I'm okay, man, I can accept the reality, which is some days I'm a hero. Some days I'm a, you know, I'm the, I'm the goal or whatever. And I'm just going to have fun playing and trying my best. And I don't care that the ego part of it doesn't like that. And it wants to feel central and important. And it'll say stuff like this. No, you need me. You need me. You need to, you, if you don't have me to tell you that you need to be better, then you know what's going to happen. If you're accepting where you're at, then you're not going to want to get better. And then you're always going to be this miserable gobbledygook guy. And, and, and you, you know, if you're, if I'm not there to tell you when you hit a, there's another thing when people hit bad shots, where they feel like they have to punish themselves and they have to analyze what went wrong. And they're like, if I'm not, if I'm not here to tell you what went wrong, like, you know, if I'm not here to tell you what to do differently, if I'm not here to tell you that that's not good enough, if I'm not here to tell you that this impossible standard is a standard you need to meet, then you're just going to be terrible forever. And so there's people that play, there's an ego narrative, which goes like this. I'm going to have impossibly high standards and I'm going to punish myself mercilessly every day for not being at that level. And I'm going to try to control every part of my game from fundamentals to, to, you know, the ball pocketing with aiming systems and with fundamental techniques and with all this stuff, I'm going to control, 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 push, 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 punish, 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 because, and I'm, and I have, and, and, and never, never, never celebrate because it's never good enough because I have impossibly high standards and it's going to be miserable, 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 miserable. But then someday, because I have impossible standards and I'm punishing myself perpetually, Someday I'm going to be great, so much better than everybody else. That they have all these suckers that have low standards that are having fun when they play. Someday I'm going to achieve this huge motherload of performance, and then I'm going to be better than everybody, and they'll all see how great I am, and then I'll have this huge happiness payoff in the future, and it'll all be worth it. And that's the narrative. And that narrative to me, I've been there. When I was a teenager, I was there. And I'm telling everybody that that's a horrible narrative because all that that does is you're miserable day after day after day after day. And if you want to know how you're going to feel in 10 years playing you know, a better game of pool, take the average of your last 50 pool sessions. How did you feel? And that's how you're going to feel in 10 years. That's more realistic. So the fact is, though, that when we test the waters and say, can we just be content with who we are and the reality of how we're going to perform? 
the ego doesn't like that. And it says, no, you need me to point out your mistakes and you need me to punish you and you need me. Otherwise, you're never going to get better. And on and on and on. And you know what comes to mind? Remember a few good men? Mm-hmm. You need me on that wall. You, you need me, me on the wall. And I, I want everybody to watch that right now. Go to a few good men, you, you know, the, the courtroom scene and look at Jack Nicholson ranting about how, you know, deep down in places you don't talk about, you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. The way his face looks when he gives that speech is chilling because it looks, he almost is channeling the devil in some weird way. And it's like, that's the voice. And that I, I, when I, when my ego talks to me, it's, it's Jack Nicholson. <laughs> it is. It's that's exactly the voice that talks to me. Like, no, you need me to punish. You need me to demand. You need me to drive. You need me to be dissatisfied. You, if, if you're happy, then you're never going to get better. You're always going to be gobbledygook. And I've talked about it before. So I'll just reference back and say, no, the truth is that even if, even if being content meant that I never got better, I would choose contentment over improvement because why do we even want improvement? It's because we have this idea that if we improve, we'll play better and that'll lead to contentment. And actually it's the other way around where it's so, but, but first of all, even if I'd rather, I'd rather have the real thing. I'd rather actually be content than have improvement that I hope leads to content. But then the other part is that Mm -hmm. if you actually are content, then you can let all that crap go. And when you're not afraid and you're not frustrated and you're able to just, and you're not, and you're not, pursuing endless drills about stroke shots into a Coke bottle because you're going to try to eliminate gobbledygook guy, which is spending time in the wrong direction, in my opinion, then you can actually just have fun playing and have fun doing things that actually work for your pool games so that you can have fun getting better and have fun having breakthroughs and have fun accepting the funny bad days that happen along the way. And I think you're going to have more fun and play better and get better faster without all that crap. I don't think that's an effective narrative either for contentment or for process. Okay, I'm out. Go ahead. I would say that uh, I'll just share with people like everything Demi said, man, I struggled with, I struggled with it. I, I literally thought like, I think I got around seven sixteen, and then I, whatever was my, after that tournament and at the U S open qualifier Fargo. And I literally thought if I just get to seven fifty, I'm okay. You know, like that's where I'll be happy. That's where I'll be content. Then all my range will be so high that my lower range will be high enough that whatever, or maybe the number was 770 or whatever the number was, Demi, I put a number on it and thought that, that that's what, it, and I would not be happy until I got to that number. And that that would change. How that you would feel. change how I feel. Yeah. And it's like, what I must, I, I mean, it's like, now I know I'm a total fish for thinking that. <laughs> but, but which is totally hey, fine. Yeah, because- I'm a skill line for Brad Owens. You're, Sometimes you're a fish. You're a little fish, but you're a little hero. You're a combination of both. You're Aquaman. Exactly. Okay, that's yeah. Brad you're like Owen, Aqua, the poker vlogger. Yeah, <laughs> I'm Aquaman. <laughs> exactly. So now I and it's like, man, I'm just saying, like, that's this, that's life, man. And so if you're in that spot, and I'm not even saying I'm out of that spot. I'm out of that spot because I don't on, play you on, know. Your, on your good days you're out of that on spot. My good days i'm out of that spot i i'm more yeah so i'm consistently out of that i'm more consistently out of that spot no i <laughs> but but yeah i just want to just just say hey man like it it's just there's no like i don't know if there's a number man like i it, that's that's what i'm saying is it's a trap so if you're listening and you're a 525 and you think well if i just got to 600 then i then i would be content with my game i'm saying as a guy that's over 700 that thought you know, it doesn't work that way. And I've turned, I've turned away students because I had somebody that was calling me and 
Okay. Everybody listening, if you haven't figured it out by now, I'm going to tell you guys a secret. I'll let you know a secret. I'll let you know a secret. I had a therapist that told me I was crazy. And he didn't tell me, I'm like, hey, man, you're crazy. <laughs> he didn't tell me it like that. Yeah, he yeah. kind of said it more in a way, like, as an adult that is responsible, you kind of have to know some things about yourself <laughs> yeah, so yeah. that you can kind of like, you know, manage through without causing too much destruction in the wake. So anyway, I am not exactly normal. And, and so whatever, whatever I meet people that I think are normal, I always know like, man, this guy must be a little crazy because I think he's cool as hell. So anyway, um, I'm not normal. You're not normal. And a lot of my students and a lot of you listening, if anybody that I, I was, I'm starting to think that anybody that devotes a huge amount of time in life to shooting balls in a hole in some ways has some, some idiosyncrasies anyway. So the point is, is I've, I've had some people call me that, you know, it's not uncommon for people to struggle with mental illness. You know, you and I have both had our, our battles and I had someone to reach out to me that I felt was struggling with certain things and, and they weren't doing that well. And they thought that the way that they were going to solve their problems was by getting better at pool, either eliminating gobbledygook guy or achieving a Fargo rate. And we had some good conversations and basically I was like, look, man, you know, he, and he asked me like, can you help me achieve this goal? And basically the goal he wanted to achieve was to eliminate gobbledygook guy and play good enough that he would suddenly feel better about himself. Yeah. And I basically said, man, I can make you play better. I can help your performance range increase. I can show you some cool stuff, but I can't, there's, I can't lead you to an outcome to where you're not going to be tested. You know, it, it, there's, um, there's, I'm going to tell this is, this is what a very meaningful clip of something. I read this book, uh, uh, Buddhism, plain and simple. And this, this guy, this farmer sought an audience with this guru and he was desperate for help. And so he approaches this guy and he says, Hey, can you help me? I've got, I need your help. And the guy's like, what can I do for you? So this farmer spends like two hours unloading all of his problems on the guy. His wife's nagging is super critical and his, his son's been rebellious and won't help out on the farm. And his donkey is, you know, getting older and can't do the work and this drought and he's not going to be able to make the thing through the winter. And he's laying out all these serious problems. And at the end of it, the guru says, you know, that's pretty tough. And then, and then the, the, the farmer is basically like, well, what should I do? And the guru's like, man, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you're the farmer. Like, I don't know how to advise you on how to handle your farm. Like, you seem to know this better than I do. And the, the, some of those, I don't know that you can solve. And this is very tricky. And the farmer's like, well, don't you have any advice? You're, you're a guru. Like, and the guru's like, yeah, but you have to understand. Every one of us has 83 problems. All the time, 83 problems. All throughout our lives. And there's... There's nothing we can do. He says, you know, if you try really, really hard, you can solve one of those 83 problems. But then as soon as you do, another problem will replace it. Yeah. And furthermore, the biggest problems we can't solve. Like everybody you know is going to get old, sick, and die, and so will you. And there's nothing anybody can do to solve that. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, sorry. And so the farmer's like, well, I don't understand. What good is it being enlightened? You know, what's the whole point? And the guy's like, oh, he's smiling. He says, no, 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 I'm here to help you with your 84th problem. And the farmer's like, what's the 84th problem? He says, so you desire to have no problems. Yeah. And that's the 84th problem. Yeah. So like, literally, 
I'm here to help with the 84. No, no, I just realized I just told you a just story in which I'm the guru. Compared yourself but like, to a, a <laughs> that's, that's my ego. No, no seriously, like in, in this podcast, what I'm trying to do, though, is spread that message, which is like, there's just the same thing Josh is saying, is that there is no solution to these problems. So what this guy is, think, what, if somebody thinks that a higher performance in pool is going to solve the or problem more consistent, quote unquote. Well, again, yeah, which whatever. right, yeah. right. If they think that if they think that the, there is a pool performance where they can eliminate the bad days, where those demonic voices wake up and say that you know the the, the things your dad told about you when you're a kid are wrong, and you're always going to be a loser, and you're never going to be as good as I am, or whatever. It's like, and my dad didn't say that, by the way. I'm just using it as an example. I love my dad. Thanks, dad. Uh, but like, I just I'm here to say that that's not it. So the correct answer is to embrace the whole range. Yes. And, and ha ha ha, it's all good. Yeah. It's the, yeah. it's all good approach. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So be, one last thing. Um, we're, we're okay. Right. We yeah. Got, I'm good. I just, okay. I, I just okay. yeah. So the last thing I was going to say is you've been playing some poker lately. Yeah. And, and this yeah, yeah. ties a lot into poker because in yeah. poker, poker is a game where you always win every hand. Right. Yeah, if you the, play really good, like in rounders, yeah, like, it's just like rounders. Well, you can walk in and just the, the professor folded the jack on third street. It's just like that. It's just <laughs> like that. So, no, I mean this. The, the awesome thing about getting a, a, a kind of having some space from pool and then playing poker is that the the it's reality. Like there's a reality with poker where you are losing more than you're almost more than you're winning. So I play MTTs and cash MTTs multi table tournaments where there's a thousand players like thousand runners thousand runners <laughs> as they say in the in the european continent um so yeah so like in general if i if i reg a tournament and and i'm and i'm against up with a thousand players there's like an 80 percent chance like i'm gonna go bust and so when you are losing 80 percent of the time and i'm talking like i'm a i'm a decent poker player so a lot of times when i go out i got it in good I, you know like you've been waiting for i've them. been waiting for them it's <laughs> you, like you've been moving around waiting to get a spot where yeah. you got some fish on the line exactly and get it all in good, and the guy makes a terrible call and ends up hitting some card yeah. which and, is which and is if you and if you win if you only win 20 percent, if you only cash 20 percent, that means that there are stretches not of four tournaments but there might be stretches of 15 tournaments where you break out and, and if that happens live that could be a stretch of like three to six months of yeah this running bad yes and, and, and the only thing i'm saying i'm not like oh Phil, like phil helmuth wasn't for luck i'd win every time yeah. i'm not saying that i'm just saying that i have a knack and a nose for getting it in good so in my 80 percent of losses they are they are oftentimes very painful like it's painful well, it's it's you, you know, know the, it's here's another way to look at it in pool amateurs are going to slap in more balls than pros mm -hmm. because pros just don't miss very often yeah. And there's not many times that they shoot a ball with speed and miss the pocket and so have it bounce around gonna, and slop something yeah, and slam it around. So if rest. you were to watch APA matches from like APA fours playing nine ball versus like Josh Filler playing nine ball, the APAs are going to slop in many, many more balls than Josh Filler. Mm -hmm. But Josh Filler is going to win a lot more often than those APA players. Mm -hmm. Like in poker, if you're a good player, you're going to get sucked out on way more than you suck out on other people. Yes. And that means win with the worst hand and get lucky. Yeah. Because, because, but the advantage is, but you're going to be winning more in the long run than those players are. But in the short term, there's like a zombie army of bad players that are behind when they get all the money in, but have chances to eliminate you if they run good. Yep. Yep. And statistically 80% of the time that's going to happen. And so you just kind of deal with it roughly. And 
you know, cash is a little different. It has a little different variance. Cash, I, I think it's, if you're a good cash player and you're a winning player, you might win 60% of your sessions. So, but there's still 40% of the time you're getting, you're just getting absolutely, you're not shut off. Which means that, which means that there might be strings of 10 sessions in a row. Exactly. That they lose. Yeah. And, yeah. That, and, and furthermore, they might have losing years. Yeah. Months and years. You know, yeah. I, I was, so I'm not, I'm not a champion poker player, but there's, I've studied the game a bit. I'm, I'm competent, right? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm at least versed in like a little bit of the game. And one thing I used to be on two plus two poker forums, and they talk about how players have no idea what the long-term really is mm-hmm. playing poker. And so, you know, when, when online poker players measure a number of thousands of hands and there's players that play 10,000 hands or a hundred thousand hands or a million hands. And what happens is to play a thousand hands of poker, if you're just playing, you know, 10 hours a week and you're playing maybe two tables online, you might, it might take you, um, you know, it might take you a month to play a thousand hands or, you know, or maybe not a thousand, but yeah. Cause but, it's like, yeah. but it's, for somebody to like, for somebody to have 20,000 hands put together, if they're playing, like say they're playing one or two tables and they're playing full ring or something, they, you know, they're not. Yeah. Full ring is a little different, but yeah. So if they're playing, let's just say they're playing two table full ring or one table, six max. How many? I don't want to get. You know, yeah, that was a complete waste anyway, of time. So, but yeah. like the bottom line is, is that say say playing like they might only play, you know, 40, 50 hands an hour for six max table. So it's like twenty hours is a thousand hands. So maybe they anyway. Let's just say they 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 play ten thousand hands in three months. They might play for three months and play mm-hmm. ten thousand hands, and they might feel like man for three months they've been playing, you know, an hour or two a day, and they're and they're winning, and they feel like they figured the game out. And they feel like they've been winning for a long time. Like that's a super, super small sample size. Like they, you need over, like you need like a hundred thousand hands. You need 10 times that, which means you need 30 months. You need two and a half years if that's the rate at which you're playing. So you could have a winning year and actually be a losing poker player. And you could have a losing year and be a winning poker player. And that's my point is like for people, now there's the more volume to play. There's people that play a hundred thousand hands a month. You know, there's 16 tabling and clicking around and stuff. But it's like the bottom line is, that the long term is way, way longer. And then it's funny because uh, we know a guy that just had a winning poker session like last time he played. And, you know, it was like, it was like high five after the session. And I'm just thinking like, you know, not nobody was like announcing that he's like, oh, he's solved or anything. But my first reaction was like, it's almost like sitting down at a poker table and winning the first hand and being like, I'm going pro. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. it's like, man, yeah. it's like making the nine on the break and quitting your job. It's yeah, like, yeah. this is so far away from, you know what I mean? It's yeah. just, it's like, it's so far away that I almost don't even feel like celebrating a win because it's like, it's just the first step in a, in a really, really long hike up Everest. You know what I mean? But, and then the way that that ties back to pool is that when you play pool and you understand um, variance, then you can understand variance within your game. Like everything we just talked about for that, that long session of discussing it. Once you understand that, that there is variance in your game and that you have this range, then like for me with poker, it's helped me to accept it. Like you have to be, you have to accept that like what me learning to accept 80% loss rate or a 40% loss rate in cash. Like it's helped me to accept that and really understand um, variance and range. And that helps me with pool because now when I go play, I don't sit there and think I'm going to win. Cause I, I, if I played good and if I play at the top of my, I should win. You know, it's like, I just realized it doesn't even work that way. And I've talked to Jesse, who is a crusher bar table player, right? Jesse Ingle. And he's like, Hey man, like he crushes Midwest bar table pool. And he still understands that 
you know, races to three people win and he doesn't win every single par table tournament he plays in. And he, he, you know, he's a guy that I think wins every time he puts his cue together, but it doesn't work that way. You know, he still, he still gets knocked off and, and loses sets and doesn't win tournaments. And, 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 but he knows overall that his, his uh, expected value is EV is like high in pool playing bar table regional pool so that he knows that over the course of a year, he'll make X thousands of dollars playing bar table pool tournaments and he'll have somewhere he loses and he loses to lesser players. And uh, that's just all normal stuff. And so for me, I just, you know, with pool, I got caught in this thing where it's like, I'm working on my game. I'm playing so many hours. I'm working on my game, I'm playing so many hours. Why isn't it working? Is it working yet? Is it working yet? And now I understand when's the part where I just play good and win. Yeah. When's the part when I just play good and win and why can I win this, but I can't play good this time and, and all this stuff. And now I just realize it's, it's just a range of, 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 of variance within myself and my game. And once I can accept that and just be content with that, then I can play and have an overall lift in my mental game and, and have more joy in my game and be more accepting of it and have a lot more fun playing. So, and what I was saying yeah. was cool about playing at your worst and how this improves your performance with poker, a big part of the way. So we talk about win rate, how much are you winning overall? How many bigs, bigs per hundred hands? It's like, sometimes you're getting really, really good cards and good situations. You've got the bases and the other guy's got the Kings and that kind of thing. And sometimes you're making your sets when you connect. And sometimes, you know, you're catching bluffs and you're calling and they don't have it. Other times you're just getting second best hands. Other times they're sucking out on you. Other times, you know, they always have it. And so the point is, poker is not a game where you just run good all the time. So where the profit comes from is you make money when you're running good and you lose money when you're running bad. But if you can lose less money when you're running bad, then your opponents lose when they're running bad. That's a big, big way to increase your bottom line. And so it's like, it's like at a business, you have your gross sales and you have your expenses and everybody wants to increase their sales. Whereas managing your expenses, isn't very sexy, but it's just as important because it's not about how much you make. It's about the difference between what you make and what you spend. And so the same thing in poker, everybody. So here's what happens is when people are getting good cards, you want to max out your profits. But when it's fun to do that, because when you're getting good cards, you're having fun. And you're like, how much can I extract from this guy? And how much can I bet? And what hands am I targeting and all this stuff? So it's like, it's fun to be the guy with the good cards, extracting money from yeah. your opponents. So therefore, a lot of people are good at playing good cards and profitably. But a lot of people aren't very good at playing bad cards, less unprofitably. And so when they get bad cards and they get sucked out on and they get second best hands and their opponents always have it, they tilt and they get frustrated and they feel entitled to getting it back. And they feel like yeah. I'm going to take more speculative flops and I'm going to chase and I'm going to, I'm going to take gambles. And I feel so bad. It doesn't even matter anymore because I'm stuck so bad. So let's just gamble and see if I can catch up and win it back and all this. So people, when they're losing, they're miserable and then they make worse decisions and they spew money. And so if you're a poker player, if you can win money when you're playing good cards, and then when you're getting your bad cards, if you can keep your head, you're going to lose, but you're going to lose less. And you're going to lose, if you can lose less back than your opponents lose when they're playing bad, then when you're losing, you're going to lose a little bit. And then when they're losing, they're going to lose a lot. And at the end of the day, your net profit is going to be higher as a result. Yeah. That's what I texted you the other day. You were just talking about yeah, hand. I, well, I texted hand you. Hand review. You had, a, you had some hand where you like, 
I don't. I have it on my no. phone. Well, I texted you. I said you were in a I cool said, trap where you should have lost like twice as much as you lost. Well, that too. They were trying to bust you, honey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Phil Helmy's reference there. But but uh, no, I texted you after that session. I had the cash session. First, I busted the tournament, of course, LOL, the 250 tournament. I yeah, got, and then you lost like 270. And, the and then I lost like 230 playing 230, cash. Yeah. And I, I told you, I go, Demi, I, I, and I just texted you. I'm like, I feel like that was a $400 loss session. Like, that's the cards that I had, but I was able to only lose 230. Stop the bleeding. And stopped, and I, I, yeah, I didn't donk off. I didn't, oh, I'm going to pay you. You must have it. I just got to see it. I didn't, like, none of the stuff that I see people do when they play where they just melt down and, and punt punt money. And so it was it was miserable. Five hours of misery I, I spent, like, not hitting cards and not catching sets. And, you know, one time I had Kings and it all folded to me. Like that's t- classic. Poker. Yeah. That's classic. Poker. On, a, on a super action live table where everybody's, people are just like betting and throwing money in the pot. Everybody's pot. barreling at the pot. Pre flop. There's like a, there's like a, Massive pot pre-flop like, every time, and then I like get kings just in the big. A small cloud, they disappear. When I get kings in the big blind, I yeah. get the walk, and the guys like, "Do you want to chop?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm <laughs> chop. Yes, I'm chopping." So, so what I'm saying is, I texted Demi, and I'm like, "Yeah, that was a $400 loser for sure," and I I booked a 230 loser. So I I'm like, when you in feel poker, like you won 100. Yeah, I feel like I won 170 in poker when you uh, when you're up a thousand and then you lose 500 back. It's called upstuck, you know, lane flat. Like, upstuck. yeah, they call it upstuck. So I felt like I was the reverse of upstuck. I felt like I uh, should have lost 400, but I won 230. So I was like, I left the poker situation where I got absolutely coolered out of the 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 tournament, the 250 dollars buy-in tournament, and then I dropped 230 playing cash. And I'm like, yeah, Demi, we 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 dropped 480, but I I feel like I I feel like truly cosmopolitan. I feel fantastic. You know, I'm like, this is good. So. I, it, 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 I felt, I felt it too. Cause I had half yeah. of that. And I, I feel great about that. Thanks. Yeah, no, yeah. no, 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 I know. Just, but kidding. that's all I'm saying is like, it's, it's uh when you, when you like, that's what I've learned from poker. And so what I'm saying is in pool, when I go play no pool different. now, it's no different. Like the other thing that we didn't talk about your opponents allowed to play good. Your opponent can have the top of their range day and that has nothing to do with you and it has nothing to do with your performance. It's like, it just, do you know what I'm saying? It's like, there's, and, and we're winding this up, but yeah. I'll just say there's things in your control and there's things out of your control. And so in the end, it's out of your control, whether today's your good day or bad day, it's out of your control, whether things are going well or not. So that's why in, in poker, there was, I'll never forget. There was a book where the guy said, suppose you had a, a backer that was willing to put you, put up money for you to play poker. And he knew how good you were. And he says, tell you what, I'm just going to pay you a hundred bucks an hour to play poker. No matter win or lose, I'll pay you a hundred bucks an hour to play poker. But here's the catch. I'm going to be watching your decisions and watching your cards. And as long as you keep your head, make good decisions that are reasonable, keep your emotions in check and stick to your game plan and manage yourself well, I'll pay you a hundred bucks an hour. But if you get frustrated and start tilting and making loose decisions and abandoning your game plan and, and letting your emotions run all over you, then you're fired. Pretend that the guy was paying you to make good decisions. And that, and so I read that in the poker book and it was meaningful to me. And it ties right into like your job is the things you can control, which are your processes. And I've talked about this before. I have a coach's corner on my YouTube channel. Check me out at MN Pool Bootcamp on YouTube. Now on coming now coming soon to your home theaters, uh, theaters near you whatever anyway the um collect all four colors so you're there to do processes so when you're having a bad day it's okay if you're playing bad 
it's okay if that feels bad. It's okay if that wakes up some negative thoughts about how terrible you are. But then you got to let that go. And you've got to keep doing your job, which is to make good decisions, give your best effort, take your breath, get off the ball if you don't feel good and give it your best. And then and then handle it if it doesn't go your way anyway. And so that's your job. And that's it. That's where it ends. And so if you can, if the, the more loosely you can hold the results, the less meaning you can attach to your bad days and the more you can just enjoy doing your processes. And like Josh said, you can book a loser and still feel good about it. And not just because, oh, I played my best and if I lose, it's okay. It's like, no, even if you play badly, even if you do make blunders, then that's part of the game too. And you can, it's just do your best that day. And some days your best is your best and it's still not enough. But other days your best looks pretty bad. And that's still okay. Just as long as it, as long as, and if, and if you feel like you could have done better, then, then do your best to do your best. And that's it. And so when you're talking about like, even if you play well, you might still lose, or even, you know, you can't control the other person's good day. I'm like, yes, we could write a book about things you can't control. In fact, everything in the universe you can't control, except for just a couple things, your breathing, your attitude, your effort. So it's like, it's much easier to make a list of things you can control and just try to keep focusing on that because the list of things you can't control is boundless. Yeah. So yeah. cool, man. Yeah. Well, that monster, man, it's uh, not all it's cracked up to be because that's only been two and a half hours and uh, I'm ready to ready to take a little cat nap. So, uh, no, I hope everyone enjoyed this. I'd love to hear some thoughts from you. Um, so reach out, uh, post, you know, comments. If, if you email me, if you want, uh, I have windows on the ground floor. So if you want to throw a brick with a note, just reach out, man. I'd love to hear from all of you all at the same time. <laughs> okay. I'm good. You good? Yeah, I'm good, man. It was awesome. It was good to be back with you. And that was really fun. Thanks for having me back. Dan. Thanks. And thanks everyone for tuning in. We appreciate you and uh, we'll catch you on another episode of Cue It Up Bootcamp Network Podcast. Amen. Amen, comma. <laughs>